I would suggest that you get on the phone, call your neighbors, call your friends, and if there was ever a Nitro that you didn't miss, I would suggest that you don't miss this coming Monday night because it is now official. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the WCW champion, is contractually obligated to be in the Georgia Dome this coming Monday night for Nitro to defend the WCW heavyweight title belt <laughs> against what I feel is the number one contender, Goldberg! Oh, yes! Wow! Oh, yes! Hispanic scene, me and Alex are getting with the lingo of these people. Alex, hit him with some of that. Orale! Orale! Give him more. Arriba la raza! Arriba la raza! Disciple's in, though. The disciple is in. Oh, he wipes out DDP. Goldberg beat me, that's true. And then right after that, he took your belt. I know you heard this one. The state of California is putting a new tax on oversized vehicles. I hear they're going to start with Jay Leno's chin. <laughs> I mean, what is that? That's like 10 in a row. <laughs> Bones up romance scattered all across the sand a secret safe with all the world too vain to seem so capable can you across the sands it is indeed the wrestling 20 years ago podcast hello everybody and welcome my name is rory mcnamara thank you for joining me today for volume one of our july 1998 walk through the retro wrestling world joining me today i have mr billy johnson billy how are you sir uh good thank you rory 
great that you could join us. And Mr. Bob Colling is here as well. How you guys doing? Great to have you on board, Bob. Let me tell you what we've all got in store for you this month. This is Volume 1, which we will get to very, very shortly, World Championship Wrestling. Volume 2, World Wrestling Federation, also presented by me, where we're looking at their fully loaded pay-per-view. And Volume 3, in which Chris and Eric will talk you through ECW as they lead into their pay-per-view next month. But as I say, we're looking at all things World Championship Wrestling today and uh, some very, very big news to kick us off with. Bob, as you will start us off right now. Bill Goldberg, world champion. Yes, you heard the man. Not even 10 months after he defeated Hugh Morris on Nitro in two minutes with a move that Tony Schiavone called a combination slam. And indeed, not even two full days after on an episode of WCW Pro where he defeated none other than John Nord, Bill Goldberg is the undisputed, undefeated world heavyweight champion. On a huge edition of Monday Nitro, which took place on the 6th of the month in front in the Georgia Dome in front of 35,000 people, midway through the show, he beat Scott Hall. And at the very end of the show, he cleanly, one, two, three, few, not no, few shenanigans went over Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Bill Goldberg's incredible rise to the top has been completed. As I'm sure you will guess, we will talk about that a lot going forward on this program. But congratulations, Bill Goldberg, the World Heavyweight Champion. Jay Leno, main eventer. Yes, it's such a, just flows off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes, Jay Leno of he of talk show semi-fame is getting involved with World Championship Wrestling. On the final two Nitros of this month, we have had some very long, in every sense of the word, skits in which Eric Bischoff has been showing off his late-night presenting comedy chops. And needless to say, there's not a whole lot to particularly show off. On an edition of his own show, towards the end of the month, Jay Leno himself called out, none other than Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And it looks as though it's just leading to some sort of match at next month's pay-per-view. Yes, that's right. Jay Leno will be taking part in some shape or form at not just any pay-per-view, but Road Wild. Yes, the one in front of lots of bikers and that. At this at time of recording, we do not know what role he will be playing, but uh, stay tuned to that one. I know you're as excited to find out as I will be. Nitro, if you can't beat them, join them. Yes, this is the story doing the rounds through this month that Nitro might well be dropping down from three hours back to two hours again. Uh, it's said that three hours is just too long a program. I cannot possibly comment as somebody who has to watch Nitro every single day for this particular this particular show. I have to remain impartial. Spoiler alert, I think they're probably right. And it is a lot of talk that they could be going back to two hours. This, coupled with last month's news that Thunder is going to be a taped show every other week, indicates that maybe at the top, people are just starting to get rather itchy feet. And that's something to watch going forward. At the moment, no, no plans set in stone to go back to two hours but the word is definitely out there. The warrior is coming. I'm afraid so. We even have a date. We even have a date. August the 17th will be the warrior's debut. Don't even think about calling him the ultimate warrior now, lest you want to get sued. It's, it's presumed that he is going to be entering into a feud with Hollywood Hulk Hogan, with the smart money being at some point, some pay-per-view in the future, that Hogan is going to get his win back from WrestleMania 6. 
Hulk Hogan being the only person in the world who actually cares about such eventuality. But there you go. Warrior coming to WCW on August the 17th. I can't hardly wait. And are Hogan and Flair going? I do wonder. It's It has been said that both Hogan and Flair are still making heavy overtures towards the World Wrestling Federation. News on Hogan's current contract became, uh, became public knowledge this month. The only thing we know about it, the only thing has been released apparently in the contract, is how much he's getting paid. There are no actual dates in there. So if he wanted to effectively just jump ship, he could do so very, very easily. And considering where the, uh, where the momentum seems to be between the big two at the moment, don't be surprised if he starts using yet more leverage to get himself a better deal. As for Ric Flair... He had very, very positive comments to say about Monday Night Raw in a recent uh, recent newspaper interview. He's still very much on the outs with World Championship Wrestling. His lawsuit is still very much in place. No sign of him coming back to TV anytime soon. He even said he seems very happy that this Four Horsemen storyline, which you'll hear about in the TV reports, does not seem to be involving him. Doesn't seem to concern him one little bit. Says, saying what a great show Monday Night Raw is. So if I was us, I'd be very, very interested to see where Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan end up before the end of the year. That really concludes the news. It's been pretty quiet elsewhere, but I'm going to give you some really fascinating TV ratings now between Raw and Nitro. On uh, the 29th of June, which we weren't able to bring you officially last time, Raw smoked Nitro, 5.36 to 4.1, which may go somewhere to explaining what happened at the Georgia Dome. Did which, of course, gave WCW the win, as we all expected, by 4.8 to 4.0. But that was very much a false dawn. The next month, Raw pulled back ahead, winning 4.65 to 4.46, and pulling a dead-on 5.0 the next week to Nitro's 4.4. Nitro recovered a little at the end of the month on the 27th to a 4.7, but Raw still secured the victory with a 4.84. At the moment for Nitro, it's just not happening. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs, donating $5 a month to keep this show on the road. Every little is very much appreciated. And I should also say, not only is it just a pure donation to keep us going, exclusive content will be coming your way. I'm going to have more on that to say at the end of this program, but $5 will not just pay to keep us on the road, which we appreciate massively, but you will get some exclusive content in your inbox and your inbox only. So please, everybody, stay tuned for that. Patreon.com forward slash Wrestling20YRS. Please support us in any way that you can. With no further ado, it's time for us to go to the Monday Nitro, which took place on the 6th of July, 1998, in front of 35,000 fans at the Georgia Dome. Now, the number that WCW gave out during the show was 39,000 which I thought was a little strange that they were actually doing themselves down. The numbers doing the rounds at the time were actually that it was a 41,000 sellout. So this was a case of WCW actually underplaying themselves in the way that only, only WCW can actually do. But as it turned out, they were actually overshooting it by about 4,000. So I'm not going to talk you through that huge, huge, huge Monday Nitro, which ends with Bill Goldberg winning the world title. I am sure that is not a spoiler for any one of you. I shall bring in the boys on this one for their views a bit later on, but everybody stay with me as I talk you through this momentous edition of Monday Night Trial. We open with J.J. Dillon's announcement from Thunder 
that Hogan is contractually obligated to face Bill Goldberg tonight. And boy, what a huge pop that one gets. We get a sweeping shot of the Georgia Dome and it shows what a big deal this really is. Our commentary team have even come suited and booted for the occasion. The director manages to pick out a sign of the 35,000 people in attendance, which actually reads, To Sweat. <laughs> well played, that man. Off to a flyer. So, of course, Hulk Hogan and Co are here to start. He rabbits on about the usual, whilst I'm distracted by just how deep the crowd is. Seriously, it looks like WrestleMania 3 out there. After Rodman's no-show, which we'll talk about a bit later on, he then tells us what the worm was actually supposed to say. Hogan states that the match with that jabroni, Goldberg, will only happen if he manages to beat another NWO brother tonight. Here's Tony Schiavone. Can a world champion like Hulk Hogan dictate things like this? Um, are you new here, Tony? <laughs> we killed time with Gene talking to some, to some yay who called Brian Murphy, who won a car last year. And here he is. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea who this bloke is. And his intellect is unquestionable too. They don't never see me coming. Well, you don't say. Our first match is Bill Goldberg defending the TV title against Milenko. And we get a lot of good stuff here for a fair old while until Jericho makes his usual interruption. And it must be said he gets volcanic heat when doing so. The distraction allows Booker to hit Dean in the back of the head with the axe kick and secure the win. Canyon versus Raven is up next. We get some big stuff in that big stuff here, including a huge flapjack onto a chair by Canyon, and then a superplex by Raven onto the same chair. Saturn hits the ring for the DQ. He attacks everybody, and then he finds a table. Mega splash onto Raven, but the table doesn't even break. Yikes. A limo pulls up, and it's Buff Bagwell, who we haven't seen since April, in a wheelchair and a neck brace, and he gets led into the arena by his mother. Gene talks to DDP and Carl Malone. Page is still trying to get Hollywood scum Hogan over, and it's not really working. Hogan will be one bruised-up boy after Goldberg gets to him, and at the pay-per-view, he will be a banged-up boy. <laughs> God. Malone then says he will rip Rodman like Madonna should have whipped him, and he's going to be a Rodzilla killer. The promos continue with a sit-down with Mongo, easily the best he has ever given. He really should have done this sort of thing two years ago. His Chicago Bears team were a commitment to excellence. He wants Arn Anderson to put the chip back on his shoulder and to dare somebody to knock it off. Scott Putsky versus Riggs. Putsky wins with a ropey-looking sit-out powerbomb. Another limo shows up, and the NWO are there to greet Scott Hall, who is looking, let's say, well. He is here to heat things up. The commentary team twig that it will be he first facing Goldberg. Jericho is back. He greets us with a hello, which is just hysterical. He seems to think he can choose his own opponent for Bash at the Beach, but he is interrupted by Jojo. Hey, get a life, man, he says. Dino sprints to the ring, but there can be no physical contact between the two before the pay-per-view. Chris, Chris tries to goad Dean into reacting. He even calls him a talentless jobber. He then goes on to insinuate that Dean and his brother are of different parentage, and then there's the snap. Jericho is still in the ring for a match with Dragon. It doesn't last long before Dean comes back in. He gets put in handcuffs and led away by Atlanta's finest. Okay, boys, I'm going to bring you in here. And Bob, I'm going to come to you first. Forget about Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. <laughs> Easily done, I know. <laughs> and with them out of the equation, is Chris Jericho the best pure performer in pro wrestling today? Because me alone, in any facet of the game, I just can't fault him. 
I think that's a very fair statement, especially if you compare it to where he was this time last year when he was the guy putting his back against the railing as a baby face. Nobody cared about him. Uh, and now he's probably by far the most entertaining all-around talent that WCW has. Everything that I see from him, I'm intrigued to know and hear what he has to say. Um. So no, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he's grown a lot over the last ten to twelve months, and I've personally really enjoyed it. I completely agree. What do we think, Billy? Well, uh, obviously, Chris is doing a wonderful job um, as the cocky little shitty hill that really needs to get his comeuppance like uh, every week. And uh, I have really enjoyed his uh, with Dino Machino Malenko exchanges there on the mic and. With JoJo as well, um, yeah, no, he's doing a, a really good job with what he's been given, and he seems to be really getting over. It's like he's even the Monday Night Jericho stuff with his own T-shirt. That, that looks really cool, and I would like to to be able to own one of those as well. So I know Chris is doing a, a really good job with uh, what he's been given so far. Yours for just thirty four ninety nine plus shipping and handling, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> if you can. Walk into the ring holding a microphone. You can say the word hello. You can have 35,000 people booing the hell out of you. Then you know that you are do doing something right. This guy is an absolute superstar. And I think the sky is the limit for him. As long as he is allowed to move up the card, and that is something I must say I do wonder about, then I just don't see where this guy can stop. He is phenomenal. His promo work for me is some of the very best heel work we've seen in the course of this project i would rank him as highly as late 95 early 96 cactus jack and believe me that is some big big praise he just gets it every facet of being a bad guy he's there he's a coward he's a dick he's an arsehole he's a wimp he's heinous he's cocky he takes the mickey out of people he does all of those things, and they're all absolutely there in the 8, 9, 10 out of 10 red zone. I've done it ever since he turned heel in December, January. I haven't seen him have an off day. He, he just brings it every single time. And you can tell that he's really enjoying being able to do this stuff because, as you rightly say, Bob, this time last year when he was just this guy who would come to the ring and he'd pump his fists and he'd stand against the crowd and all we knew about him is that maybe he wants to be a rock star and he's this guy who's quite a good wrestler and that was it it's i just knew even looking at that i just knew that there could be something else would he be given the opportunity to do it and he is there's not a whole lot to look forward to a world championship wrestling television these days but every time he appears he is absolute fried gold on a stick and long may he continue and be allowed to continue i think he is truly fantastic back to the uh, back back to nitro johnny swinger takes the mic now he is the hottest young commodity. He faces Charbo, who comes to the ring wearing a hard hat and carrying a pair of scissors. Think about it. Tornado DDT gets the easy win. He cuts a bit of Swinger's hair and decides to challenge Eddie to a hair versus hair match at the pay-per-view. Public Enemy face Disco and Wright, but they are happy to sacrifice their dancing body, Tokyo Magnum. PE and their brave shirts put him through the table stack. There's no flow here at all, as Inferno and Alden hop in with trash cans until the bell just sort of rings. The crowd occurred just waiting for the big stuff now, and I can't say I blame them. 
But here is Gene with Bagwell, who he actually calls Marcus. He recounts the seriousness of his neck injury and the damage to his vertebrae. <laughs> Here's uh, Gene Oakland, world tax champion. You came very close to dying, actually. I'm sure he needed to be reminded of that one, Mr. Oakland. Buff cuts a face promo here, and you can tell that he isn't really acting, which I appreciate. He thought he was never going to be able to move again from the neck down. We then switch back to story mode when he says he will not be part of whatever Scott Steiner has planned. He then thanks his mother and the crowd cheer. A very, very nice moment here. But we'll come back to this later in our show. So here comes Scott, the gatekeeper hall. See what I did there? He doesn't do the survey, which I think is wise in this particular environment. Goldberg emerges, and it must be said, he looks ready. Hall is clearly motivated here, as I suspect he feels he has a lot to prove to people. The big slam meets with much approval from the crowd, and Scott's sell on that is great. He takes control, and now we can see what Scott now we can see what Goldberg does in said situation, which is to no sell a whole ton of punches. Kind of a hip toss and a few arm drags are a new twist to his repertoire, apparently. Hall calls up the troops, but Malone and DDP cut off the jobbers. Hall teases the edge, but Goldie backdrops out. Spear, jackhammer. I guess that Hulk Hogan really is next. Billy, we're going to talk about Hogan a lot, uh, Hogan and Goldberg a lot in a few minutes' time. But your very quick thoughts on this match. I think it was Goldberg's best up to this point. Um, oh, I, I don't know if I can really agree with that, Rory. I, I thought it was a bit sloppy at points, and Scott was trying to slow him down and to sort of like um, trying to he was just trying to slow him down to sort of uh, you know calm him down more than anything because he seemed like uh, he was going to explode more than anything he was so like pumped up and everything but he came across really well to the crowd and the crowd seemed to really get behind him beating Scott Hall and Scott Hall did a really good job of putting him over and trying to carry him through this match your brief thoughts Bob I thought it was pretty good for what the story is. And also it's arguably Goldberg's uh, biggest win aside from the Raven victory. Obviously Scott Hall probably has, or not probably, he is a bigger name than Raven. So it's a, a big, credible win for him. Um, I mean, and Hall trying to like slow him down and stuff. I kind of took it as he's trying to get the adrenaline of Goldberg to, you know, end because his matches are usually 90 seconds or whatever. So if he can survive 90 seconds, maybe he'll have a shot. And that's how I kind of took it. Um, but for the quick manner that it was, I, I thought it was a fine TV match. No, I'm with you, Bob. I thought Scott actually played into the psychology of this one really well. And this was his first match for two months. I mean, the guy's been in a rehab center for five or six weeks. And he looked great in this one. As I said in my notes, I really got the sense that Scott Hall had something to prove. And I think he did. He knew what his role was out there. He needed to go out there, make Goldberg look strong for what happened later. And he did it. And Billy, whilst I agree that Goldberg did look rather erratic out there, I was able to buy that in kayfabe as somebody who was trying to do everything he possibly could with the, with the a title shot lurking before his eyes in an hour's time. So I could kind of understand it. And I think Hall sold for him at the right times. His comebacks were good. I didn't really mind Goldberg's no selling in this one because... I bought it as adrenaline, the fact nothing was going to stop in his way for getting for that title shot. So, yes, nothing to write home about, but then no Goldberg match ever is. But I think Scott Hall alone can be very proud of himself here. More on Goldberg in a second. After the Nitro girls grooving in PVC at the commentary table. Why did I write that? 
I wonder. Psychosis, whose name I spell differently every time I type it, is against Juventus Guerrero. I think it was a very sound move to have these guys up next, actually. 450 Splash gets the quick victory, but the Throck do their thing afterwards. After a really great video package for the Bash at the Beach main event, here is Jim Duggan to spoil everything. He is up against Giants, and he actually gets a fair bit of successful offense. Thankfully, normal service is resumed. And here's a great line from Bobby Heenan. <laughs> he hit Duggan so hard his eyes were straight. <laughs> Fantastic. That, that's, that, that is the Heenan I like. Giant takes the mic and he calls Kevin Green pathetic. He wants him one-on-one at the pay-per-view. The man himself is here. He holds a loogie and throws a clothesline in that order. DDP and Jim Neidhart ends very quickly with a diamond cutter. And here come the red and black. This leads to Sting and Luger versus Sick Boy and Kidman. The rack ends this one in 30 seconds. So, at last, here we are. We see Goldberg walk to the ring from all the way to the back of the arena. The chants are massive, whether they're coming from the crowd or a tape. We get another commercial break before Hogan emerges, and he comes out alone, which I like. He's had five days to come up with something, and what can Hogan give us? I am going to kick Goldberg's butt. <laughs> you take what you can. So, this is it then. Hulk Hogan defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Bill Goldberg. The fans actually cheer the bell ringing, so you know that they want this. Side headlock by Bill, and he takes Hogan down to a knee. Hogan punches out, but a shoulder tackle sends him down. Grapple in the corner doesn't really go anywhere until Hogan is in with the eye poke of eternal damnation. A test of strength which Goldberg wins extremely easily, and the fans love it. Again, though, it only leads to Hogan getting back on offense. There's no real link to the action at the moment. Hogan grabs his belt and he whips him a couple of times. Goldberg steals it, but he actually throws it away. Hammerlock reversal into a full Nelson until Hogan low blows out of it. Blatant chokehold, which Hulk runs right up to as close to the five as he possibly can. Bill up with a rather weak clothesline and Hogan rolls outside. We reset as the crowd have gone quiet for the first time. Hogan with a chair on the outside but Charles Robinson lets it go. The crowd come back as Hollywood hits a slam and the leg drop and another leg drop. Perfect comes to the ring, as I always still call him, but Malone and DDP are following. So Goldberg kicks out of the leg drops, but nobody really saw it happening. The two people who did never really bought it as the finish. And it must be said, Hogan's overacting there is comical on the kick out. Malone hits Hennig with the cutter, but it must be said a lot of help. And you've heard enough from me already during the course of this show. I'm going to let our esteemed commentary team take you up to the end. His boys Okay, that's part one. Now finish him off. Finish him off. He's calling for it. This is it. This is it. Your career's on the line here. Do it. Do it. This place only rough when he picks him up. He's got him up! Oh, hell yeah! One, two, three! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! We've got a new heavyweight champion in the world! The first undefeated man in the history of this sport to ever win the world championship and have a record of 107, 108. Who cares? There's zero on the other side. We've got a new champion. Listen to this. 
And there you have it. It's happened. Bill Goldberg is the world champion. The crowd go completely and utterly insane. You can tell that these chants are not piped in, and indeed, nor should they be. As Bobby Heenan says, there's a new sheriff in town. Well, Bob, Bill Goldberg is the world heavyweight champion. Who would have thought that even a month ago? We didn't even even entertain the possibility of that happening during our June show. And now out of nowhere, it has happened. Lots to unpack here. But first, your thoughts on the match as it was presented. What did you think? It certainly was presented as if it's Goldberg's time. Uh, Hogan is stepping off to the side. That's the way that it, it came across to me. And when guys like uh, Malone and Henning and Page, all those guys came out, I got real nervous that there was going to be your typical Nitro screw job. And it just because this time it's it's it needs to be done. There needs to be a clean finish. It needs that monumental win for Goldberg. And luckily he was able to get that. I don't know if there's any other way to top it. I mean, you know, 40,000 people or 35,000 people at the Georgia Dome. Um, I thought it was presented pretty well and, and makes Goldberg the megastar that they need him to be. What did you think of the match, uh, the six or seven minutes we got? No work rate classic, it must be said, but um, I thought it was watchable. Oh, no, yeah. It's, I would say it's a it's a good match. I mean, it, for six minutes, it's probably one of the best six-minute six matches I've seen. Your thoughts on all of that, Billy? What do we reckon? Well, yeah, uh, Hulk Hogan certainly seemed to play to Goldberg's strength in this match, and he certainly tried to lead him through uh, a good match. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that... Uh, Goldberg's selling seemed to be pretty decent as well. Obviously, he wasn't uh, uh, forced to sell for prolonged periods, which would have really killed the, the gimmick for me. But uh, no, the match uh, uh, perfectly acceptable, and uh, it was it was the right finish, and the crowd uh, really ate it up. Do you think it seemed like a big deal as well? Uh, yeah, it certainly came across as a big deal. It certainly came across as a passing of the torch moment. Uh, obviously, Hulk Hogan's held that title belt hostage for like... I'd say for the better part of four years, but <laughs> it seems to like it generally feels like it is a dawning of a new era in WCW. I thought the match was actually really quite good. <laughs> and I, 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 last month I called Hogan my own personal bet noir, and that is not going to change anytime soon. Just wait until we get to the pay-per-view. But I thought he worked really quite hard in this match. He gave Goldberg a lot. Uh, it's not often you see Hulk Hogan in the as a heel, as a heel, I know, but even so, actually working. And I, I've never, I can't remember the last time I saw him trying to reverse a hammerlock into a, into a full Nelson or anything like that. You know, you've got to give the devil his due. And for the fact that I'm calling him his devil, calling him the devil should tell you all you need to know. But well, we'll move on. So, I, listen, I would not want to see these guys go any more than six or seven minutes, which is going to play into a question I'll ask a bit later on. But for what this was, I thought this was perfectly fine until the running towards the end. First thing, first, Bob, I do agree with you. When I saw Hennig, who I keep calling perfect, coming down to the ring, I thought that we were going to get our bog-standard nitro finish, which would have taken the air out of the place completely. And I'm glad we didn't get that. But at the same time, it did detract from the action in the ring just a little bit. And we'd already seen DDP and Malone 
that match has been pushed hard. They had an interview. They had a big uh, five-minute video package about it. I don't think this was the time to push that anymore. And everybody was watching Malone just about hit the diamond cutter arm on the outside when nobody saw Goldberg kicking out of the kicking out of the two leg drops, which was intended to be a big deal. I know we've said on here before that nobody really buys the leg drop as a finisher. I can't even remember the last time he won with it. I still think here the crowd would have popped a kick out of a double leg drop if they had seen it. So that was WCW over-egging the pudding just a little bit. But after that, I thought it was great. Hogan's, yeah, Hogan's going to Hogan with his overacting. But Goldberg gets up, whams him with a spear, super big jackhammer. A couple of idiots actually throw garbage in the ring, which I didn't like. Not the time or place, guys. The show isn't about you. I can overlook that, though. Huge three count. The place absolutely explodes. And this felt like the biggest title change, certainly the biggest title change in WCW. Well, okay, yeah, the obvious the obvious uh, precedent is Starcade 97, but they killed that one a bit, probably since Luger last year. So there's still so many things we can discuss here, but if you haven't seen this, and I would be surprised if you haven't given its ratings victory, check this one out. You'll be surprised at the decency of the match. You know, don't go expecting five plus stars or anything, but both guys who did work hard, they knew this match was a big deal and absolutely the right results. So many other things to discuss here, including the big question. I know you're thinking about it. I'm going to save on that one for a little while, guys. Just hold on. So my next question, uh, Billy, I'll come to you first. What do we think as Bill Goldberg as champion going forward? Because we're going to jump ahead a little bit here. I think he's had a rather rough month as champion so far. But uh, yeah, broadly speaking, do you think he's the right choice to be champion? And uh, where can they go with it? And where should they go with it? It's a little early. Um, um, I, feel, I feel like uh, Goldberg got the... What I, got, uh, I think I think uh, we've, we've lost Bob. Keep going, mate. Keep going. I'll check. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. <clears throat> right. I feel it's like a little bit early to have Goldberg win the title at this point. Um, obviously, I would. Uh, I'm one of these people. I like to see things get built, and then there be a logical payoff in the end. Obviously, you, WCW are probably thinking, you know, they don't want to lose steam like they did with Sting last year. So, possibility of sticking the belt on him now and see what they've got going forward. I just think it sort of interrupts all the ongoing storylines that the company will have going forward. Like, for the last few months, the company's really been building up the NWO Wolfpack and the NWO Black and White. Uh, You would expect that will probably be the main focus of the program. So will Goldberg be booked as the top guy? Um, I don't think he will be. I think he'll be in semi-main events. Well, I think... uh, the NWO Hollywood and uh, Wolfpack will unfortunately continue to stink up the main events. <laughs> Ever the impartial one at the end. There we go. I'm giving Hogan crushing credit, and now it's the, now it's ending with NWO stinking up the main events. Well, you're not wrong. I should just say to our listeners, currently lost Bob. We're trying to get him back at the moment, so I'll ship in here. Okay. We say so often on these programs that, especially WCW, I think all three companies are guilty of this. I think ECW as well with, with Taz versus Douglas. That needs to happen soon. But especially WCW, they can get cold feet and you think, yes, it's over now, but maybe if we wait another couple of months, people will want it even more. It's so important to strike, strike while the iron's hot. And Goldberg is not going to get any hotter than this doing what he's doing. 
I don't think the fans were ever really going to get bored of him squashing people in two or three minutes, but I don't think they were going to get any more enthusiastic for it. So if if you think that him squashing people in two or three minutes for nine or ten months is enough for him to become the world champion, then absolutely go with it. And they did. And they did so strong. Not in love with the way he's been presented over the first few weeks as champion. He had a nothing match with Hennig on the pay-per-view, which we'll get to. He wasn't even on the Nitro the next week, which I found inexplicable. And then they had him cut a promo on the final Nitro of the month, which was all right. I thought he was maybe trying a bit too hard to come across as a character with the low voice and the squinted eyes. I'm like, mate, we haven't heard from you yet. Just be yourself. People will still cheer you. And then as soon as the last Nitro goes off the air, it was the very last thing we saw before the show faded to black. He was taking a choke slam from the Giant, which for me is a bit ominous. But as you say, Billy, early days yet, but they're already, uh, it's already looking a little bit dicey. Uh, Bob, are you back with us, my friend? I am. Welcome back. Yes, I was just, I was just asking the question there about how you think, um, are your opinions on Bill Goldberg as champion going forward? Uh, what they have done so far, what they should do, whether he's the right choice. So uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I'm kind of mixed on it. If it's presented in the way that he's been presented the last almost year now of having two to three-minute matches, I think that will wear thin very quickly. And considering he's been pretty dominant, I'm not sure how many believable heels you have for him going forward. Uh, I would think the money feud uh, or money match – aside from the a potential Hogan rematch at some point would be with, you know, you know, the giant. I think that would be a, a pretty huge match. Um, in regard to, you know, talking and stuff like that, I don't, I feel like he's a, a character that probably shouldn't talk at all. Um, just be the badass that comes to the ring and, and dominates, but he also has to be able to work a main event style match. So when, you know, we get to a, you know, a pay-per-view match or something and it's got to go 12 minutes, he's got to be able to work that and do so effectively. I'm not sure if he's at the point yet where he can do that. But I would take the fact that it's refreshing. Uh, it's not the same old stuff. It's not, you know, Savage or Hogan or Sting or whoever. It's something different. And really, they have many different places they could potentially go with it, and hopefully they're able to uh, capitalize in the right manner on Goldberg. Yes. People love watching him squash people in two to three minutes. I love seeing him squash people in two to three minutes. But you're right, Bob. He can't do that forever. And think about it. If he's the world champion and he's mowing through everybody, you know, as easy as day, then nobody is going to buy anybody as a challenger. And people are actually going to start switching off. As much as people like it now, it's almost going to become a roundabout self-fulfilling prophecy. And that does worry me. And again, yeah, I'm not sure who his real challengers are. I mean, he's beaten Hogan right out of the gate. As he had to, to become champion. I entirely understand that. But who else has left? I don't think the Giant is on his level. Plus, I think that match would be horrible. I I cannot see Goldberg getting him up for the jackhammer, quite frankly. Nor can I see the Giants even selling the spear to make him look believable. You know, you're not going to do Goldberg versus Brett. You're not going to go face-face with him be Sting or Nash. And I think that's it. It's I know it was only Nitro, but his last match was against Brian fucking Adams, for God's sake. And... I do worry that whilst the time was 100% right to put the belt on him, when he was smoking hot over, that unless they have actual ideas for him going forward, that 
the goodwill could evaporate very quickly. I really, really hope I'm wrong on that because, broadly speaking, putting the title on Bill Goldberg now is 100% a good thing. It is an example, an all-too-rare example, of a wrestling company listening to their fans and giving them what they want. Goldberg still has a way to go. He can't work 10, 12 minutes, 10 to 12 minute matches yet. And that's a worry. I really don't think he's going to be able to cut much of a promo. And that is potentially a worry. Because whilst you say Bobby shouldn't really talk, I'm with you on that. But he's the face of the company. And you know, this is this is Ted Turner's money. He's going to want his champion going out there, shaking hands and doing TV shows and kissing babies. Can Bill Goldberg do that? For me, the jury is still very much out. But for now, glass half full that I am most of the time, I am very pleased that Bill Goldberg is the world champion. So well done to WCW for doing that. And that concludes our talk about the... Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I'm not letting you off the hook that easily, World Championship Wrestling. Bob, Billy, you knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. Everybody listening knew this was coming. Eric Bischoff knew this was coming. Bob Colling, you have the privilege of answering the question first. Bill Goldberg versus Hulk Hogan won, with Bill Goldberg winning the World Heavyweight title. Should that have been on pay-per-view rather than free TV? Take it, my friend. The obvious answer here from a business perspective is that you make the fans pay for the match. Now, as a fan, it's great that it's on TV. I don't have to spend $30 to watch it. It's on free television. That's great. But if I'm a businessman, and I would have to think both of you guys would want to, you know, you would probably pay for that match. So sure, sure, you get this huge rating and... You know, you're the talk of, you know, the Monday or the Tuesday afterwards, whatever. That's very short-lived. Wrestling, I feel like we as wrestling fans, we don't, we're not going to sit there and be like, whoa, wow, Nitro got a 5.0, whatever. And nor should Bischoff be like, wow, great, a 5.0. I'd rather be, if I'm Eric Bischoff, I'd rather sit there and be like, wow, I just made $20 million off of one match instead of having one week of ratings victory. From a business perspective, it makes almost zero sense in a TV manner. Like I said, it's a great visual because pay-per-view-wise, they're not having these shows in front of 40,000 people, which is a bizarre way to even think about it. You would think the TV would be in front of 15,000, but that's a different story. It, It blows my mind, and it's kind of frustrating that WCW is so short-sighted on one aspect of the business that they would rather take a rating than making substantial money for the growth of the company in the long run. And I think that is a a clear sign that the upper management in WCW has a true disconnect on where the company should go and how to keep it even at number two or a close number one, if they're making these dumb decisions to put it on live television because in the future, when you have another big match, are fans going to w- even think about buying a pay-per-view because they'll think, well, I'll just be on Nitro. You're killing your own model of making the biggest money. So I'm almost speechless at this point that I'm so frustrated that they would put it on TV. But luckily, I'm not Eric Bischoff. I'm not a businessman, and we got it for free on TV. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so we're, we're the lucky ones in that respect. But just to come back on you, and I think you're absolutely right in everything you say. Does this not show that the way that the war is going at the moment is that it's ratings, 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 numbers one, two, and three, and pay-per-view buys are a distant fourth, if that? Well, yeah, and another thing that comes down to this is that WCW is on TNT. Yes. So that's a Ted Turner company. They're not getting the ad revenue of ads or anything of that nature, what WWF is probably getting from USA. So you can't even have that as a justifiable reason to put it on television. They're not, there's TNT is not paying WW to put the month to have that show on. They're not getting any split of that. So there's, there's no reason or no, to me, there's no defense and it is 100%, you know, before starting 95 or what, what have you, it's all about television ratings. And it's odd to me that WCW, the one company that doesn't get a profit from that, is focusing so heavy on that. You would think that that would be the company, knowing that they can get money from pay-per-view, would make that the bigger deal. And, you know, WWF on some level is doing the same thing, but they're also saving matches for pay-per-view. And maybe they'll, the next night they'll have a rematch or what have you, similar to what WCW does. But you're right that... Right now, WCW's main goal is to win one week worth of ratings instead of making money to potentially keep them stabilized for months on end. And to me, that's just not good business sense in the slightest. And it was just a short-term thing, as we said earlier. They were beaten and beaten pretty handsomely the next three weeks. So even that one shot, which they were always going to win putting this match on, it almost looks like a fool's errand in that respect. There, there are pros to this. I so will get to them shortly, but um, I think you make a very compelling case there. Billy, what do you think? Well, I think Bob pretty much covered it all. You know, obviously, they really shouldn't have thrown it away on free TV. I can understand the argument, obviously, uh, like Bill Goldberg is piping hot at the moment. You might as well throw the title on him. But I just feel like if you would... Uh, maybe had Goldberg run through uh, like the lower members of the NWO Hollywood first uh, throughout September or October, and then go to the big match, which could possibly be with Kevin Nash. But then you've got this problem with Kevin Nash want to put him over um, in, in November clean in a short version. Match. I don't really think he would want to do that. And then you obviously you could uh, have a, uh, Goldberg versus Hollywood at Starcade. And again, do you think probably WCW's thinking was, well, Sting sort of cooled off basically towards the end of 97 before we were able to get to the match. Maybe that would happen with Goldberg. Obviously, from a business point of view, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's like, why would you rush this match onto free-to-air TV? Unless you're thinking along the lines of maybe, just maybe more people will see the match because you're going to have the big uh, 5.0 ratings and obviously I believe that's about 4 million plus people watching it. You're obviously not going to have that many people watching it on pay-per-view. Even if it is really well built, I don't think they'll ever be able to do that number. I just, uh, from a business point of view, I think WCW have flushed a ton of money down the toilet for a short-term fix in the ratings, and it's a little bit sad to see. 
Billy, if we get a Hogan versus Goldberg rematch and Hogan beating Hogan, I'm near certain that we will. Do you think they'll do the same thing again? Uh, no, I don't think that will happen. I think, unfortunately... Once bitten, twice shy and all that, yeah? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, Hogan uh, will probably say no to losing again to him. You know, the company is built around him. He is the man that makes the most money in that company. And unfortunately, I would say that, no, I just don't think he would agree to do a, a job. Uh, you know, you're looking at it like, from a history point of view, like Hogan last year with Sting, he agreed to do the job and it, was, it wasn't great the way they executed their plan at Starcade. Maybe Bischoff was trying to avoid another problem there at Starcade where Hogan wouldn't cleanly uh, job to Goldberg. I can see Hogan winning the title back in a few months' time, maximum. Yep. Again, again, whether it's on paper, you're free TV is, is another moot point. But the debate of doing this match when they did, I was amazed when I sat down and thought about this, how many pros I actually came up with for this. All you guys have basically talked about the cons, and I agree with 100% of them. You, you basically nailed all my negative points. I couldn't argue with any of them, even if I wanted to. But I, I've got to try to look at it from WCW's side because I'm a WCW guy in this podcast and will be for the next 50 years, probably. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> yes, I'm looking for a job, guys. Come on. There we go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, Bischoff. I'll, you, you look so bored doing it every week. I'll hold Hogan's mic for him during the interviews. How about that? Okay, so some pros here. More people will see it, as you've rightly said. And this is probably the biggest one of all, which leads on from that. WWF have one biggest show of the year. It's called WrestleMania. WCW have 52 biggest shows of the year. Pay-per-view, it's something they have to do. You're a wrestling company in the late 90s. You have to put on a pay-per-view every single month. It's just a done thing. You can't not do it. You, know, you do need to make money any way you can. You make people pay for your product every four weeks. End of story. You cannot odds that. You cannot get around it. You do it. You need to do it. If they absolutely didn't have to, I do wonder if they really would. Because it is all about, as we talked about, Bob, it is all about the ratings for WCW, because Turner calls the shots 100%. But it's also about Nitro itself as a self-contained program. Like WCW did not invent the idea of wrestling pay-per-view they did come up with the idea of an episodic weekly show shown week uh, weekly show shown live every single every single monday without fail uh, nobody else did that raw didn't do that now, they were one live three taped for months and months and months on end nitro were the first to make every show seem exciting and real you never knew what was going to happen next so what better way on your show your monday night show to anoint champion who really is more than anybody else more than sting because he made his name elsewhere more than flair because he was an nwa guy your guy bill goldberg is a wcw guy end of story he played football for a bit he by all accounts wasn't very good at it he joined the wcw power plant he has solely wrestled in wcw got over with wcw fans won their u.s title and is now their world champion when you tie it together like that it makes sense but you would have somebody who is right now their biggest star win the biggest title 
on your biggest show. So I do get it. And it also plays into the fact that on Nitro, anything can happen. And it also does, we must say, negate the viewpoint that you had, Bob, and I had too, that a big title match on Nitro is going to end in NWO schmoz. 5,001, 5,002, 5,003 times. That did not happen. They went ahead and they did it. So I've got to give them credit for that. And for one time only, it did have the desired effect. They beat Raw by 0.8 of a ratings, which is 0.8 of a ratings point, which is pretty solid. It's well outside the margin of error. It's a victory anywhere you slice it. But, 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 but... The point of any form of entertainment is to make money. People will pay to watch things. People pay to come to sporting events. Now, people pay to go to the movie theater, the cinema. People pay to watch plays. Entertainment costs people's money. The very best results are there if you pay to see them. If it's just there before your eyes without having to try, then entertainment almost becomes less important. I have less reason to want to see it if it's something I can just passively consume, just sit back in my chair with the TV rolling in the background and every so often I'm going to see something massive. Yes, it happens in soap opera. Yes, it happens in comedy. But the really, really big stuff, you pay to see it. It's People would have paid to watch this. They actually told a story in the course of this Nitro that I think they could have told over two or three months of TV and pay-per-view. And Billy, you touched on it. Have Goldberg mow through the NWO. You could do a thing even on this program where you have Hogan even saying, I've got a big pay-per-view match coming up next week, but everybody's talking about this Bill Goldberg guy. Well, he hasn't really beaten anybody yet. And then you can start it in motion. He can go through Virgil. Then he can get through... Brian Adams, then he can move up, then he can have the squash match with Hennig like he had on the pay-per-view, then the likes of Norton, then he can get slightly into slightly bigger names, then he can start looking at Hall, then maybe Nash if he'll agree to job to him, and then you can do it, at, do it with Hogan. You don't even need to do the slow, slow build with this. It doesn't need to go all the way to Starcade. You could have taken this up to uh, Havoc, because that's a big pay-per-view, maybe even before that. Sonic, maybe even Road Wild. Yes, a lot of the fans there won't know who Goldberg is, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, if he beats Hulk Hogan in five minutes for the world title, then they're going to pay attention. And the money they would lose at the gate from Sturgis, they would make up fivefold in pay-per-view buys. So ultimately, whilst there are reasons for doing what they did, it was the wrong choice. <laughs> it was the wrong choice. You put this match on pay-per-view. People are going to plonk down their money to watch Bill Goldberg beat the world, win the world title. They want to see Hulk Hogan get his ass kicked. Yes, they'll see it for free, but they will pay $35 to watch that arrogant asshole way past his best. Who Everybody hates who mocks the fans turn by turn every single week. They're going to see him take a spear, take a jackhammer. They're going to watch him count lights and see Bill Goldberg ascend the ropes with the world heavyweight title belt in his hands. So, to a point, I do get it, but they blew it. And why did they blow it, ladies and gentlemen? Because WCW. 
And after all that, we have the small matter of a pay-per-view to talk about. As you would have heard the opening intro for there. Uh, Billy, the results for Bash at the Beach 1998, if you please. Uh, Raven defeated Saturn in a Raven's Rules match. Juventud Guerrero defeated Billy Kidman. Stevie Ray defeated Chavo Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero defeated Chavo Guerrero in a hair versus hair match. Conan defeated Disco Inferno. The Giant defeated Kevin Green. Rey Mysterio defeated Chris Jericho in a no DQ match for the Cruiserweight title. Booker T defeated Bret Hart by disqualification to retain his TV title. Goldberg defeated Kurt Henning to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. And finally, Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman defeated DDP and Cole Malone. Bob, what did you think of this event? Um, I'll tell you right now that Nitro on the 6th felt like the pay-per-view. Uh, I... I don't even know. I mean, it just kind of felt like a thunder, aside from like the main event to me. I mean, nothing. I was watching it, and I was not very excited about anything after each match, and we'll get into it. Uh, I wasn't highly entertained, and it felt like the spark of anything WCW was on the previous Monday, and uh, not a whole lot going on for Bash at the Beach. Billy, as our resident Thunder viewer, make about what you will. <laughs> uh, it was a lot better than Thunder, I'll tell you that right now. I disagree uh, completely. <laughs> uh, this this card had three good matches on a 10-match card. Uh, it was very, very skippable. That's all I can really say about it. So it was Thunder. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> touche Bob, touche uh, yes, I, I thought this was a poor show I'm afraid, and a real step back from the pay-per-view last month, which I really quite enjoyed all the things which made uh, the Great American Bash such an enjoyable watch for me even some of the poorer stuff there it, it took a real back seat 
the undercard didn't really get going. There were some rather curious combinations in there. So they were hampered from the start, it must be said. But they weren't really able to catch fire. Some of the rematches were definitely weaker Xeroxes of what we've seen before. And a main event which encompassed everything about this program and not in a good way. So stay with us, everybody. Let's talk about it. You would have heard the opening video package a few months ago. And you will also have noted it made no mention of Bill Goldberg being world champion. And indeed, it still aligned him with Kevin Green, which was the original plan for this uh, this particular pay-per-view. Hey, guys, you only had six days, right? Tony runs down the card, and what the fuck are they wearing? Jesus Christ, guys, the man at CNA doesn't choose somewhere that hideous. Whilst I adjust the contrast on my television, Dave Penzer, Dave Penzer introduces our opening contest. When Dave Penzer is the best-dressed person in the booth elsewhere, you know you've got problems. So our first match, then, is Saturn versus Raven. Saturn jumps Raven from the bell and tosses him straight into the guardrail. And as it was so much fun, they do it again. He chokes Raven with his shirt and Asim hits Steel for the third time in a row. Saturn goes for a springboard dropkick, I think, but he slips in doing so. He just about recovers to hit a standard version. Overhead gut wrench suplex and a body slam, and Saturn is in early control here until he misses a top rope leg drop. Awkward butterfly suplex by Raven, and we are off to Toy Town. Tony calls a table a chair. And even Tanae gets in his case for that one. And here's Bobby. Imagine coming to Tony's house for dinner. Saturn crotches Raven on the ropes and goes for what might have been a clothesline, but he gets nowhere near it. This has been one ugly start. They reset with a Russian leg sweep into the safety rail because that is textbook stuff for these two. Back in and a foot on the ropes pin scores a two. Sleeper by Raven, but the counter du jour, that is the jaw jacker, breaks it up. Big kicks in the corner by Saturn and then a side fisherman suplex. A chair, and I do mean a chair, shot to the shoulder, ow, followed by a springboard leg drop onto the same item of furniture. And Raven kicks out, because of course he does. Lodi and Riggs try and help, but Saturn sees them off with ease. He goes for a springboard something else off the chair, but only hits Nick Patrick. Bordog onto the point of the steps, and then here comes another table. Tony gets it right this time. Uh, he gets wedged between two tables, but then Canyon comes down to save Raven. Hmm, okay. Saturn misses the table splash. The timing looked awful on that one. Raven was practically back in the ring by the time Perry even went for it. Canyon and turns on Raven with a flatliner onto the chair. Saturn is chucked back in, but it's a two count only. Chair shot also for two. Saturn recovers by kicking the chair back into his face, but he also can't get the win. Saturn has to deal with the flock again, which allows Raven to come to and hit the even flow for the victory. Billy. <laughs> Well, okay, so basically, this was your usual sort of plunder, walking brawls type of match. And I, I normally tend to enjoy them, but I really didn't enjoy this one at all. Uh, I probably would be down to the fact that there were some ref bumps in a Ravens rules match. Now, there is no rule, so is that really needed, even if uh, Nick Patrick's comical uh, bumps were a highlight for this match. <laughs> um, the Canyon interfering spot, now is he now aligned with Raven's rules? Uh, I mean, Raven's flock? Because uh, I'm really not sure. I, I, it really puzzled me why they did that. I, I would probably would have made more sense just to have like Canyon come out after the match and hit uh, Raven with the flatliner afterwards. But for some reason, they decided to have 
came in save Raven, which I, I really didn't understand. And there just seemed to be so much going on in this match, like so many false finishes, like so many things that they did that would have been acceptable finishes, but then they just went to something else, and then it's the even flow, and that's it. It's all over one, two, three. Um, I just, it, it was an overbooked mess. Too right, Bob. I completely agree. Uh, I wanted to really enjoy these uh, kind of matches, hardcore matches or Ravens rules matches should be, I guess, uh, the easiest thing to do. Uh, starting off the show with it is the ideal way just because you have so many different things going on and they can use weapons and no care in the world that uh, having it go on first kind of prevents anything else from being, uh, you know, uh, brought down a little bit or you know the crowd not being as energetic for it uh, but as you noted i mean the elbow spot off the top to the tables by saturn when raven was almost in the ring staring at him it seemed like uh, that was just really awful probably should have just not have done it and then the referee bumps as noted really took me out of the match i don't know why we're doing that for interference when technically it's legal in this environment so it just seemed like the structure of it uh, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but, I mean, just because what they were able to do, it kind of flew by for me. It didn't seem as if uh, it was a chore to get through. But uh, they can certainly do much better with this kind of match and, and probably could have laid it out significantly better and gotten better results. But I, this is a match that Ravens really needed to win considering uh, the last several months now he's been – on the losing end ever since he lost to Goldberg on the April 20th Nitro. Seems like he's just kind of been losing his mystique a little bit. So it was it was good to see him actually get a victory for once. I thought this was awful. A really terrible match between two people who really should know better, and that includes Raven. He does not get a pass on this one. His matches are always extremely sloppy. That's part of the charm. He can carry out a decent to good hardcore match. He's been doing it long enough. Yet he was just not at the races here. And I have no idea what Saturn was doing. He was not even in the same on the same planet during this match. The two of them had so many communication problems over basic moves. They were missing clotheslines. They were missing kicks. Oh, I say it wasn't helped by the booking of the match. I agree with that. With Canyon getting involved, attacking both guys, and they all attack each other like they've been doing again for the rest of the month. That, that didn't help, I'm, so I've, I've got to put that on the record. But getting there, 10, 11 minutes, I mean, what a chore that was. I thought this was horrendous. And a contender for worst spot of the year or any year, the, the miss splash through the table. Raven was not even just back in the ring. He was practically standing up back in the ring by the time Saturn remembered what he had to do. And just because it's written in the back that, yes, you've got to go through the tables, people want to see a table spot, if it's going to look that hokey, then just don't do it. Isn't it more realistic in a way if you set tables up and then once in a while you don't use them because you have got other methods of winning a match? Now, don't just stick to the script A to Z when it's going to look horrible. Now, just use your smarts. You two guys have been doing this long enough now. Now, you can, you can to coin a phrase, call it in the ring. You just don't look like you're just reciting lines out there especially when they clearly hadn't even read their lines beforehand. Oh, this was a horrible match, a total, total mess. It wasn't even good, fun, bad, hardcore, which is often permissible in certain other organisations. 
one of the worst openers I've seen in any organization for for a long time. Yes, we get some ones in WWF, which aren't exactly anything to write home about. But in fairness to them, they're never really anything worse than dull. They're normal, easy, I do my stuff, you do your stuff. Two and a half star things between decent enough workers. Nothing great, but nothing horrendous. This was in the latter camp, I'm afraid, and is very much in my, I'm sad to say, ever-growing list for worst match of the year. A horrible start to the pay-per-view, and it's fair to say it never really recovered, despite the best efforts of one or two. Gene introduces Eddie for a chat. He knows that Charbo is not really there these days, but today he's going to be a loving uncle by giving him a haircut and sending him home to Mama. Our second match, can these two bring it round? Kidman versus Juventu Guerrero. They grapple over a collar and elbow for a while, which is a nice change of pace, actually, but Kidman eventually takes charge. Double hip toss block, and then Hoovy is able to execute a tremendous head scissors and then a clothesline over the top. Lodi attacks him, though, but in attempting to hold him up, Kidman actually hits Lodi with a crossbody. Then a big airtime body press by Guerrero sends them both down again. A superb reversal sequence sees a full Nelson end up turning into a huge electric chair by Kidman. Just think about that. A full Nelson ends up being an electric chair in five seconds, and yet it looked so smooth. An alley-oop powerbomb on the outside, and it must be said the guardrail's taking quite the pacing today already. Kidman eats it himself with a Miss Stinger splash, and he is in turn backdrop down to the mats. The sunset flip powerbomb off the apron, which Tony for some reason calls a sidewalk slam. I blame the T-shirt for counting his judgment there. Hoobie tries a top rope Rana, but Kidman reverses to a mega sit-out powerbomb. And Tony tries to call that a sidewalk slam too. Is he on a promise or something? They exchange hard chops and a sharp victory roll by Guerrero gets two. Nice drop kick puts Kidman back in control. Hoobie gets kicked through the ropes and you know something is brewing here. That turns out to be another scrap on the top rope, which this time Hoobie wins with a Rana. Two count only. Northern Lights also for a two. Overhead Uranagi. Also only gets a two count. A ropey springboard drop bo- ropey springboard bulldog by Kidman also is only good for a two count. Hoovy with a jackknife roll up for a two count. Hoovy driver in the middle of the ring. Once again, a two count. Kidman fights back with the spine buster and he goes for the seven-year itch, but he only hits canvas. For Hoovy, down come the straps. Up goes the 450. Legs first. And that will do it. Hoovy gets the win. Bob. Uh, it was better than the first one. Oh, the yes. first match between Raven and Saturn. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I don't want to discredit them. There was I didn't like the similarities to Raven Saturn. I mean, there was quite a bit of stuff on the floor going on. So that um, I, I feel like they could have probably you know steered away from that aspect of it. I've seen better between them. Uh, most notably, I believe it was in May. They had a, a pretty good. Uh, not pretty good. A really good Nitro match. Yeah, that match, the Memorial Day Nitro, that was a fantastic, one of my best matches of the year, let alone TV match. Superb. Yeah. If you have people dig that one out, it was amazing. Yeah, so so I've seen better of them, but, I mean, it. you kind of run into that situation when your focus is so heavy on Nitro that these guys wrestle all the time, so I guess they can't have home runs all the time, but uh, it was uh, entertaining. Um, probably maybe should have kicked off the show. Maybe would have had a better result instead of coming off of the Ravens rules match where, you know, the weapons and stuff might kill the crowd a little bit. Uh, 
But um, I mean, not not anything overly memorable, but a solid little match for what they had going on. What do we think, Billy? Oh, I uh, obviously I know your opinions, Rory. They're just two like sort of bland cruiserweight guys that don't have any character, and uh, I've, I've heard you say that before on the show, but. No, I really uh, enjoyed this. I thought it was a better use of uh, Hooven 2 after what was last month's terrible outing with Reese. That was uh, one I'd rather forget pretty quickly. Um, I sort of felt that that match that they had back in May was obviously the pinnacle of uh, those two in the ring together. It was just a tremendous match. And here I felt it was another really good match. Obviously... <laughs> It was uh, picked me up after what had happened uh, from the first match. And uh, I think it was sort of needed. And these guys really did sort of go out there and try to put a shift in to try and get noticed by the office and maybe get elevated up the card by having a, a really great match. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think the office will pay much attention. And for the foreseeable future, I can see them just being sort of stuck in the same sort of position of lower end mid-card, which is such a shame because they went out and put on a really good match. Minor correction, Billy. It's not this style I dislike. It's <laughs> the other style I dislike. These two guys do actually have characters and actually put things into their matches, which aren't just flippity-doo for 10 minutes. Um, You're right, okay. <laughs> and, and being beaten by standing moonsaults and things like that. So uh, there, there, right. are, there are differences. <laughs> Interesting, we haven't actually seen those guys for a while, have we? Not Certainly not on, on the... The big shows and pay-per-view, but likes of Silver King and Lismark Jr. and all that, and Viano Four and Five. So that's that's one to note. Yeah, a good match here. Again, these are uh, two guys on the roster who, you know, because WCW's roster is so stacked at the moment, you can put any combination of about nine or ten guys together, just throw them out there for 10, 12 minutes, and you're going to get something good. It's just no doubt about it. You're you you're you're in safe hands with these two. Put them on there on the pay-per-view, early doors. You're going to get a solid three and a bit stars, no argument. And they did that here. They didn't really get anything wrong. I don't remember any big botches or any kind. Just a good give or take match. But the problem is, as we've all said, we've seen these guys do better. And on the Memorial Day Nitro, that was a match which had shine, it had heat, it had selling, it had comebacks, it had amazing facial expressions, it had mind-melting moves, and a super hot finish. This had all of those things, but they were all around about the 6 or 7 out of 10 level, whereas that one, especially for free TV, was around about the 9 or 10. It was probably was joint best match of the night between two guys who I really like. I do think Billy is absolutely right. These people will be doing this sort of thing probably until the day, until the day they die, second from the bottom on the pay-per-view, just to fill 10, 12 minutes. But I can think of far worse, worse ways in my life on a Sunday evening to spend 12 minutes. We'll move swiftly on from that. Uh, here's Charvo, complete with a super soaker and a rubber ring, and he is going to take on Stevie Ray. And Charvo dedicates his match to his favourite wrestler, Eddie Guerrero. Okay, Charvo versus Stevie Ray. We get some long stalling to start, and then the bell rings as soon as they shake hands, and that counts as a submission. Ah, Charvo, I see what you're doing there. So straight away, you're going to get your match with Eddie, you clever cove. 
So then, young Edward, the heavy, heavy match, the he heavy, heavy hair. <laughs> Just two. Heavy hair's quite enough, thank you very much. Heavy hair match is up between Charvo and Eddie. Charvo gets the best of the early going, and he executes the Piper 97 vintage bite to the ass. Eddie tries to show Charles Robinson the effects, but he is not interested, and I can't say I blame him. Charvo is able to goad Eddie into kicking the turnbuckle, which actually injures his foot. Nephew then takes a chair and just sits down in the middle of the ring. Eddie goes for a handshake, but Charvo's not buying this one, even when Eddie gets down on his knees. So it's a short unclosed line instead. Eddie snaps and hits some hard shots, but a Charvo backdrop puts play to that. Clean break in the corner allows Eddie to go low, and he whacks Charvo into the buckle. Great drop kick to the back, and then a mean brain buster. Rolling sent on, and yet another whip to the guardrail. Situations vacant, an agent with their own mind. Apply within, or not. Back in, and Eddie hits the old gory special. Charbo's not giving this one up, though, and he's able to fight out with an arm drag counter. Although he doesn't get too far, Eddie wrenches on a gnarly camel clutch. He really pulls back on that one. Tanae name-checks when Wells collide, and Bobby, I'm afraid to say, has never heard of it, which proves that he did not listen to our special show on it back in the day. Check the archives. Charbo fights out again and gets off a tremendous tilt-to-well backbreaker. Outside, Eddie removes the mats for a suplex, but the younger one is able to reverse it. Gives Eddie a lecture, followed by a body slam, but Eddie is able to crush him on the top. Big superplex, and both men are down hard. They slowly get to their feet, and Eddie is the first to hit Buckle. Charbo goes up, but his attempt at a frog splash is blocked by Eddie's knees. Then, Eddie hits Charbo's tornado DDT. He goes for the scissors to cut Charbo's hair, and as such wastes time, so he misses, his frost he misses the frog splash. Charbo then takes the scissors, but Eddie, Eddie catches him in a quick inside cradle for the three, with them still in Charbo's hand. Eddie then gets handed an electric razor, as per the stipulation, but Charbo shaves his own head. The guy is clearly fucking whacked, so Eddie just gets the hell out of there and allows his crazy mad nephew to just get on with it. He even shoots himself with a super soaker, and yes, he even gives his armpits a tweak while he is at it. Billy, a lot to unpack here. Do yourself. Uh, I've actually really enjoyed like Charvo Guerrero over the last uh, few months in this feud uh, with Eddie Grell. I've really like the character development and how he's uh, gone insane over time and uh, how he's added Pepe the, the um, is it a hobby horse? Is, is that right? I'm, what I'm saying? Hobby, hobby horse. Hobby horse. Thank you. Uh, it's a little hobby horse. I do like the Pepe. I thought nice little touches to it all. Uh, I thought it was pretty smart on Charvo's uh, that's what I wait for Charvo to get out of his match with Stevie by submitting to a handshake. And the way he sold it was uh, very, very funny. Uh, this match was really a lot of fun. Uh, they did some uh, real fun comedy spots to begin with, which really helped get the crowd into the match. Uh, well, then they once they uh, began to get serious, the crowd seemed to be really invested in both men. Like uh, last month when the crowd seemed, uh, unlike last month when the crowd seemed... Uh, uninterested in their straight, serious match. Uh, I thought this was a great way to, to end the feud as well, because it certainly seems to be over, and uh, it was it was a, a special match that they both seemed to put on. Uh, and, okay, this, the finish might have been a bit silly, but obviously you've got <laughs> this character that Charvo's portraying where he's cutting his own hair. I thought it was a, a bit stupid, but I, like I said, I thought it was just a... A really good match. I thought both men went out to have a great feud ending match. Your thoughts, Bob? 
I didn't really enjoy the comedy aspect of it, but it, it didn't kill the match for me or anything. Uh, once they got going, though, it was probably, in my opinion, the best thing that we've seen so far, although they haven't really had much competition in that regard for the most part. Uh, the finish, though, I mean, I, I would have preferred like a, just a hard-fought match and Eddie winning with the Frog Splash or something. And then Chavo uh, just losing his mind afterwards. I mean, to his credit, Chavo's been playing the role pretty well uh, and is getting himself over. I also, though, I mean, Chavo might have been better off winning this um, because having him lose, you can't see him in the same realm as a guy like Eddie or other top cruiserweights. So a loss here may hurt him a little bit, but if he can continue on with the character – um, you know, he should be okay in the, in the long run, in the long run, I guess. Uh, but I also just want to say that I was thrilled that I didn't have to see Stevie Ray in a singles match. <laughs> so I appreciated the finish of the, uh, the previous match. <laughs> yes. I think they were doing us all a favor in that one uh, in storyline and uh, for the uh, slightly more discerning audience. I thought this was a really nice piece of business from start to finish, actually. I very much enjoyed the fact that the Stevie Ray match lasted 10 seconds and it made Chavo look like a bit of a, a madman, but a madman who knows what's going on because he just wanted to face Eddie. So no harm done there. The match between them, probably a step below last month, but still pretty good. Again, these two are never going to stink up the joints. There was some nice stuff going on here. I think the comedy at the start was well played. Did give the suggestion that Eddie really didn't want to have to go through this again. Some good exchanges, some good moves. It was too much before the end of the match when the scissors got involved. Leave that until the end. No, if you think about it, if, I know this is quite heavy kayfabe stuff, but if you know that's for stipulation anyway, wouldn't you try and get the match won so you know you can cut the man's head without them being able to stop you rather than doing it during the match when theoretically they could? It's just stuff like that. I know people will say, yeah, you're reading too much into it, but I really don't think I am. It's quite basic stuff, this. Just, just leave that until the end. Eddie winning clean would not hurt. Winning completely clean with the frog splash would not hurt Chavo at this point. I mean, he's moving on now. As much as I've really enjoyed what Chavo has done over the last couple of months, he's shown some real personality that I thought was totally beyond him. My one concern is that now, if he isn't really going to be aligned and feuding with Eddie anymore, then crazy characters they're ten a penny in pro wrestling we've seen them for decades and they do have a limited shelf life him coming to the ring with super soakers and hobby horses and whatever it is and hard hats okay entertaining in the short term uh, there's no real elevation possibilities there if you're just the mad guy who just runs around doing stupid stuff then you're kind of in the position where george Steele was 86 87 and let's face it, Chavo hasn't got the cachet behind him that Steele does, even though he's a never so slightly better worker than the animal. So be careful with Chavo. Maybe use this as a jumping off point for some future character work with him. And as ever, I'm fascinated to see where they go with Eddie because he's fantastic. Yeah, good match. I've really liked this story. Nice payoff. Break them off now. Maybe even bring them back together in a few months' time, as, as especially as Chavo has come on a bit more. Maybe present him as a bit more serious, as somebody who can beat Eddie one more time. There's still a lot of promise to go with Chavo. Eddie is always the man. I think it is time for something else now. Disco Inferno versus Conan. Apparently, this is a bonus match. Oh, you shouldn't have. 
Alex writes out with him and gives us a bit of Spanish, which is so staggeringly, hilariously bad, you must go out of your way to hear it. Nash does as usual on the mic, and away we go. Conan then with strikes and a hip toss. Leg takedown and some stomps to the back, followed by a two off a sunset flip. Rolling clothesline, but a bear hug is blocked. He gets shit can to the outside, and Righty gets in a few shots. Luca taps him on the shoulder and then puts him in the rack. With that going on, Nash hits a jackknife and bears for Tequila Sunrise. And yo, oh yes, how my life is enriched by this being added to the card. I repeat, you really, really shouldn't have. Bob. I think officially WCW doesn't understand that bonus usually is supposed to be good. <laughs> yep. uh, this was not good. It, I mean, to me, it wasn't even really a match. This is just Lex Luger, Kevin Nash doing the torture rack powerbomb, and everybody's like, yay, Luger, Nash, then completely forgetting that Inferno and Conan were even there for four minutes. Uh, so someone needs to teach Bischoff and company that bonus is supposed to be positive, not a negative. Billy, Christmas came early. <laughs> uh, first off, I'm going to have to say, Kevin Nash, can you please stop with the big pun references? You're not a player and you don't crush a lot. For anyone <laughs> that listens to hip-hop out here, they will get that. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> this was a nothing match. It was nothing but filler. And all it really did was uh, seem to get Kevin Nash and uh, Lex Luger over. But the crowd reacted. They really seemed to like it. Um yeah, filler. <laughs> Let's move on. A total filler. The red and black, they're over. But as we said a couple of months ago when they formed, I still don't really know what their purpose is beyond being the nice version of the NWO. And uh, that's, that's pretty much it. There's nothing to say about this match other than Alex Wright is just... I don't even think Alex Wright knows how great he is. He's just, so, just, he's just such a fucking putz. I mean, he gets tapped on the shoulder by Lex Luger and he turns around as if to say, oh, hi, Lex, how are we doing? Oh, you're going to give me a torture rack, are you? Oh, okay, then. <laughs> no, this, I, I, I do find this Alex Wright and Disco Inferno team perversely entertaining. It's just, oh, but they're just milling around the dressing room, picking up low six figures a month. They're doing nothing, uh, six figures a year. They're not really doing anything. Let's put them together because they both dance a bit. Okay. And there was a funny moment, I must say, on a night show. I think it was just after this where um, uh, Alex Wright was challenging the NWO red and black in German, as, 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 as rightly he should. And Disco was just nodding along behind him. Going, yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Clearly not having a clue what he was saying. So I'm bizarrely getting a kick out of these two guys. But yeah, this was an absolute, complete and utter zero zilch zip match. All of those begin with Z, which would tell you all you need to know. Right then, here we go. Here's my boy, the Giants, not him, versus Kevin Green. Slaps hands together. After the necessary card changes, with Goldberg being world champion and that, this one is now billed as a special challenge match. Here we go. The great one, that's Kevin Green, in case you were wondering, uses his speed to avoid the clutches of the Giants early on. That man is so damn resourceful. Quick eye poke to get the giant mad, and he uses that opening to get a few shots in. How does he do it? Giant regroups, and then Kev kicks the rope. Kev kicks the ropes as he climbs back in to get him in the balls. A few attempts at punches in the corner, whilst breaking between them very cleverly, end when Giant nails a spine buster and a big elbow. Giant grinds on Green's neck underneath the rope, and the fans are ready for Goldberg. Giant just rams Green's head into the mat as he has already sparked out of ideas at this point. Desperation punches by KG don't get him very far. 
clubbing blows to the chest for a bit. And then Kevin tries a flying body press. But despite Giant catching him, he turns that into a knack snap by the ropes. Just give this man a knighthood right now. Companionship of honor, whatever the American equivalent is. Just do it. He's the greatest. Giant gets sent headfirst into the ropes a few times on the outside. But the big man is just too strong. Top rope, closed down by Green. And he hits it. Cover. One, two. Ah, we're not getting a three. Football tackles to the legs. And he goes for the three-point stance. Sadly, though, he's caught by a choke slam, and that'll do it. Oh, well. Billy, I couldn't really hide my uh, my partiality that one, but I thought once again, this was a stellar babyface performance by a non-wrestler in his fourth professional match. Yeah, I certainly don't want to bury Kevin Green here. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't dare because Rory will probably come and find me and hurt me for saying such horrible things about him. Well, you know, when you you sign up to this sort of thing, so be warned. (laughs) But no, it was was a short but sweet match, which is perfectly fine. You know, you're playing to Kevin Green's strength by making the match as short as possible. Uh, The crowd was really into it again, which really helped. Because if they wasn't, the way the match was structured, it really wouldn't have gotten over at all, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, it was good to see that the Giant was motivated for this one after that match with Sting last month where he just really didn't seem dis- uh, didn't seem interested at all. And the finish surprised me with the wrestler going over the American footballer. You don't normally see that in pro wrestling. Um, that was pretty much it. Uh, close enough. <laughs> Bob, what do you think? I thought there was uh, a few awkward moments, mainly from Kevin Green. It seemed like he didn't know what to do in a few aspects of it, which I kind of would expect from an athlete. I know he's been there a couple of times, but I think it would take a couple more, uh, more than a couple of times to really kind of grasp what professional wrestling is all about. Uh, by the finish of this, I kind of realized I would have uh, rather have seen the original tag match of giant heading against green Goldberg seems like a stronger match instead of splitting them up, splitting them up into two different matches, but they might've done that to make sure they could fill out, fill out the card in time. Uh, but the match was pretty quick and uh, for the most part, and I wasn't overly offended by it. So I thought it was just a standard little match and giant gets, uh, gets the decent little victory over a, a B level star at this point in an athlete like Kevin green. Interesting point there, Bob. I'll come back to you on that one. We all know that Goldberg is the world champion now, but should they have still stuck with the originally scheduled tag team match? Did Goldberg need to have a singles match himself just because he won the world title? Because no, that's I don't. They did it. I don't. I don't think that at all. I. I, I understand. I. Yeah. I, I. I get why they would think they would need the world championship match or, ha- or what have you. But I mean, they don't even go with the old school mentality of have the champ go on last for Christ's sake. Exactly. So I don't think they needed to do that. And I think having the world champion with a guy like Kevin Green against Giant Henning is a stronger match. I mean, Goldberg-Henning, no one in their right mind is going into that thinking Henning's going to win. There's just no way. But you could maybe see in the tag match, like, oh, well, Goldberg could technically lose here potentially because he's got Kevin Green as a tag team partner. If Green takes a pinfall, it's technically a loss for Goldberg. So you could even play that aspect of it, which I think would have been a much more interesting story to tell. Because Goldberg, if he's so focused and determined to remain undefeated, he may 
he may be even more intense and and try to make sure that he can stay undefeated. But no, I don't think that they needed to have a world championship match because what six days out they weren't going to have one out if if Hogan had retained. Yeah, Billy, just come back on a point we've just alighted on right now. Whether they should really have stuck with the originally uh, scheduled tag team match here. Uh, yeah, it probably would have helped. Um, but then do you do two tag team matches in the semi and the main event? Maybe WCW's thinking was, well, maybe no, one tag good, team good, match good will take away from the other tag team match. No, that's a good call no. too. No, it's, that's, that's a good shout. No, I'm with you on that one. Although I suppose that was still the original plan anyway. Because the main event had been planned for months, supposedly. Well, it is WCW, everybody. <laughs> is that not the answer to everything? You know, these shows really could be a lot shorter if we just go come right to the shows. Just said it's WCW. We'd be in and out, in and out in five seconds. But, yes, maybe they should have stuck with the original tag team match here. Um, you can still present Goldberg as world champion. You know, he doesn't need to beat Hennig. We pretty much talked about this match twice now already. He doesn't need to beat Hennig in three minutes on pay per view. Doesn't prove anything. Yeah, the match we got here, I thought this was really quite good. And I just think Kevin Green, you've either, you've either got it or you ain't. And you can train. You can train as much as you want for anything, in any walk of life, anything in sport, any line of work, anything. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And those strengths, they might not be specific to the line of work you're in, but you can apply them anywhere. And I know nothing about football, uh, uh, what we call American football, gridiron, whatever. So I want to nail my curse to the mask there. My knowledge of Kevin Green comes entirely from his work in World Championship Wrestling over the last two years. But I would wager that everything he is or is or was but still can do is capable of doing on the field. He does here. He's so quick. He's so resourceful. So thoughtful. Everything he did, he had a purpose. Like, he runs around the giant to try to get him tired. He hits big punches in the corner, but he breaks between them so he doesn't get disqualified. Like, he manages to twist the flying body press into a neck snap. I mean, this is high-quality underdog babyface stuff that a lot of people on all three of the main rosters are not capable of. He just has this pure germ of wrestling ability that he's got from somewhere that I can only assume he was born with, which he is able to carry out. And I really just wish that we were able to see more of him during the off-season because he's just there. He plays his character tremendously well. I don't even know whether he's necessarily a huge pro wrestling fan away from any of this, but my God, he sure comes across like one. I just compare this performance to the performance of both, not only one, both of the celebrities, which we'll get to in the main event in a little bit. I think he's fantastic. He proved it against McMichael last year and he harnessed it again here. That said, 100% the right result. Uh, the wrestler should be going over the football in his fourth match. Uh, Billy is right. Normally, in a celebrity match, the uh, the footballer would win this one as much of a stretch as that is. Here, let's face it, reality and sense prevailed. Kevin Green tried all he could, like all good plucky baby faces do, but he fell victim in the middle of the ring to one big choke slam. So, yeah, an excellent performance from him but 100% the right result. But I'm still not entirely sure what the plans are for the Giant going forward. Here's Chris Jericho, and he's got a top hat and cane. Unlike Malenko, he would never shortchange the fans, so he is going to do a dance for us. Or at least he was until Killjoy Jojo stops him. Dylan says that he was wrong, 
and that a lot of people did come here tonight to see Jericho defend the Cruiserweight title. JJ was able to get hold of somebody at very short notice, somebody who hasn't wrestled in six months. Jericho is happy with this, and he asks us to bring out the local independent wrestler, who turns out to be Rey Mysterio, complete with a bit of the old muscle in tow this time. So then, it's Chris Jericho defending the Cruiserweight title against Rey Mysterio. Rey starts out hot with some very high-octane offense, and we spill to the outside very quickly. Jericho tries to keep his distance, but Ray hits him with a crescent kick setup, which turns into a run whilst holding onto the ring post. Ray, we've missed you. Back in, Jericho puts on the brakes on a leapfrog and he dives into Mysterio's knee. Hard chops in the corner and then a no-nonsense kick to the wheel. Jericho walks away for some reason and they end up in the sand by the entranceway. Uh, Jericho tries to climb up the lifeguard steps, but Ray pulls him back down into a pyramid sandcastle, then hits a lovely rolling rana onto the sand. Oh, what am I doing with my life? Back in, we fight on the ropes, but Jericho gets the better of it with a power slam. He grabs the chair, then whacks Ray in the knee with it. After some funny mocking, he goes to pilmanize Ray, but the little one rolls out. Ray is on one leg, but he's able to dropkick the chair into Jericho's own leg. Big face plant, and Ray goes upstairs. Uh, Jericho blocks the Rana, though, and he tries to get the Tamer on. Uh, that looked a bit smoother when they did it. It sold out, really. Ray fights to the ropes, and hello, Dino, wearing a brand-new T-shirt with Eyes of Ice emblazoned on it. With that, when Jericho tries again, Ray is able to roll and hook him down for the Cruiserweight title. Jericho and Malenko have their usual arena-wide scrap, which today is notable for Arn Anderson stopping Chris from escaping. Bob. Your thoughts on this match and Rey Mysterio's return? Well, I was expecting a bigger reaction for Rey, and they even noted that it was in his hometown. But by the crowd reaction, you would have thought that everybody in the town did not like Rey Mysterio because he didn't really get a big pop or anything. It was just like, oh, cool, Rey's back. Uh, as for the match, I mean, there was a lot of knee work, and uh, that kind of keeps away Rey from doing his high-flying moves and whatnot. And uh, the title win... As soon as Ray was kind of announced, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that he's going back from injury, so he'll go over. So I wasn't all that surprised. And it seemed as if the main point of the whole segment was the aftermath between Jericho and Malenko. And if that's the point of it, then I would have just rather Malenko not uh, have been taken out of the match and finally get that clean win over Jericho and be the Cruiserweight champion. But I can see what they try to do with Ray here. And uh, to me, it just it didn't really connect, and I wasn't overly entertained by it. Billy? Uh, like Bob, I felt a bit bad for uh, Rey Mysterio and uh, the lack of reaction he got from his home uh, fans. And uh, I didn't have to wonder if he'd been eating some of the Scott Steiner porridge because he looked a little bit bigger than usual. <laughs> but no, I really, really enjoyed... Uh, this match, uh, obviously, I uh, sound like a broken record when uh, I saying that with Cruiserweights. Um, I liked uh, the working over of the knee spots. I thought that was a good idea. Obviously, Chris had uh, in been, uh, was the one that had injured Ray's knee. So but that made perfect sense. And obviously, he's just come back from knee surgery. So I thought that was a good idea. Uh, the big Huna Karana off the lifeguard towel, that could have like ended like really badly. But uh, it was... Uh, like very, very smooth and uh, very fluid and the way they sort of uh, executed the man maneuver. And uh, the top rope power slam. 
if it was a botch, I thought that was a good recovery by Chris Jericho. And uh, I was a bit annoyed about the uh, finish with Dean Malenko. Again, it sort of took away from Ray. It was, it was sort of a shame. And uh, it slightly took away from Mysterio's big moment of beating Jericho. Yeah, Billy, you've stumbled on a point now, which I was going to bring up anyway. With Is the Cruiserweight title, is it a bit too interchangeable? Because we've got Ray coming back here, his first match back for six months, and he just wins the damn thing. When Dean has been going after it for three months, he gets involved. He's going to get a title shot down the line. More than any other belt in wrestling, is the Cruiserweight title in WCW, is it a bit too rinse and repeat? Unfortunately, they seem to flip-flop with who they want to have the guy on top and then they just seem to decide to keep changing it. I, I don't un- understand or get it why WCW do that. I've, I've liked Chris Jericho's regain. It's been rather long, but there has been like these bumpy roads where Chris has uh, like <coughs> got it back in uh, under nefarious means. But for whatever reason, WCW like to put the title like this. Uh, I don't get it, to be perfectly honest. And this is why they're so lucky to have Jericho there. If anybody else, any other lower-grade heel, i.e. anybody else on the roster, held this particular title, I would have very little interest in the whole the whole Cruiserweight game, to be honest with you, because it really is just the same thing every single month. Challenger for two months moves on. Another challenger comes in. He'll either win the belt first off or he won't win it in two months. That is how it's been ever since this title first came in. Two years ago, I believe, the Cruiserweight title now, when Malenko first won it from bloody Brad Armstrong. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's hard. It's such a difficult belt to get invested in. It seems, I mean, in a way, this is pro wrestling and all belts are props. But more than any others, the Cruiserweight title just seems completely irrelevant. And that is why they're so fortunate to have Jericho on top and at the forefront of it, because he, by virtue of being phenomenal on the microphone of his character and bloody good in the ring he automatically elevates it and it does need to be elevated a lot of the times yeah match was really good ray there's a bit more of him to go around these days but i don't really think he's lost the step i love that spot at the beginning of the match where it looked like he was going for a crescent kick but he held on to the ring post and turned it into a rana i mean this boy now he could do things which 98% 98% of anybody else on any roster can only dream of. And I really hope he's back fit now because at his best, there's nobody like him. And of course, Jericho hung with him every step of the way. I probably came across during the purpose during my notes there, suggesting that the stuff in the sand was a bit hokey. It was actually a lot hokey, but that did carry a bit of risk to it. I mean, a Rana off the height of a of a chair that big, it's it's a long way to fall, sand or no sand, and they got it just about right. A fun finish. The crowd did seem to come alive for Ray winning the title, having been rather tepid towards him throughout the match. But again, this all was rendered moot the next day, and Jericho is still the champion as we move into the next month. So as good as so many of the guys are who are fighting for it, including, in my view, the best heel in the business and probably the best performer in wrestling right now, the Cruiserweight title, it almost comes across as a belt not worth winning. And you do not want that to be the case when the whole purpose of participating in a pro wrestling event is to win championships. And here comes another one, our TV title match. Full disclosure, 
Until this was announced, I completely forgot this match was even happening. And it involved some bloke called Bret Hart. How the mighty have fallen against Booker T. Shoves the start and Bret drops a no more Mr. Nice Guy on camera. Nice waist lock takedown by Booker and they fight over that for a while. A quick flying body press by Booker for a quick two and then a kick and a snap there for the same results. Hip toss exchange and Brett goes all the way over the top rope to the floor. He recovers and hits a big stun gun onto, where else? The guardrail. I hope the guardrail is getting paid extra for its work today. Back in, Brett assumes control very easily and works on the leg. No, you be quiet, Bob Bamba. Shut up, shut up, shut up. No real transition here as Booker hits a spine buster and then we end up back on the outside with Brett in control. Steps, ring post, you know the score. Leg drop in the ring and a second rope elbow for two. The crowd are stone cold dead. Russian leg sweep to absolute crickets and another kick out. Brett, as a heel, remember, tries to G up the crowd, but that, ain't, that is not happening today, my boy. He then resorts to standard heel offense in the corner. Book reverses a corner charge into a cradle, but he really struggled to get it. The commentary team do their best to cover for him. A much better axe kick gets a mild tokenish response from a now utterly dead crowd. Pancake and then a break dance. Missile drop kick, but Brett gets his foot on the ropes. Hart gets frustrated and then fucking creams Booker with the chair for an instant DQ. He destroys his leg over and over and over, and that leaves him easy prey for the ring post figure of four. Stevie comes down to lecture his to lecture his brother. Doesn't help him, just lectures him. There's been a lot of lecturing on this show. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing that to all of you guys as well. Stevie then does offer no further words or actions of encouragement. He makes Booker's decision for him that he does not require medical attention. After this match, I feel I need some of some kind, Billy. <laughs> See, I really wanted to like this match. I really, really did. Um, because I'm a massive Bret Hart fan, and I do not like saying bad things about him. But this was, like you said, Roy, the crowd was dead. It, it was a shame that they decided to give them eight minutes and do a DQ finish. Uh, if the title wasn't on the line and maybe they would have shaved off, I don't know, 10 minutes from that very long main event, this match would have been probably one of Brett's best matches in WCW. I know that's a bit of a, a, a tall claim to make, but that's how I felt about it. Because Brett generally seemed motivated to put on a great match for Booker. And it is a shame that they weren't able to go out and do what they wanted to do. They could have really like put Booker on the next level if Brett was able to have a, you know, a good solid 15 minute, 20 minute match with him. And obviously WCW need to be thinking about the future. And I would say that Booker T is definitely someone that they should be looking at as a future main eventer. And it's just a shame that WCW decided to go this route and do an eight minute DQ. Lame. Bob? By far the most disappointing pay-per-view match this year, I think, for any of the three. Going into it, any of the three companies. I would think going into this, I was thinking, Booker, Brett, they're going to tear it down. This is going to be a great match. Uh, and then uh, this happens. It's, it's, like a, it, it's like an angle. It should have been on Nitro or something. If you're doing this as an injury way to get Booker off TV, which it seemed like that was the point of it, uh, he might be legitimately here. I don't know, but that's how I'm taking it. This doesn't seem like it's something you would want to do on pay-per-view. Uh, as a fan, I'd, I'm feeling like I, I wasted my money 
to see an angle and want to see really great matches, and that just hasn't been happening. Bret Hart's got to be hating himself right now. I don't think in eight months he would believe he'll be in WCW uh, fighting for the television championship. No disrespect to the TV title or Booker T, but Bret Hart should be probably in the main event scene or something, and instead he's being treated like a virtual mid-carter at this point. So this whole thing was just really disappointing and kind of uh, took the wind out of my sails, I think, for – the rest of the show just based on that was really amped up to see if these guys could deliver something big and then they delivered shit. So they did. for the most, for the most part, shit. No, they did indeed. Other than Mr. Jeff Parker, I am the biggest Brett fanboy on the entire stuff. I feel like sometimes I'm his sole defender. <laughs> I will, I will, Pop was it pop my blood with his heart or something to coin his place from last year? There you go. You're starting to sound like a stalker, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will put his blood on my face <laughs> and go into the war. Still, John. I'd like to. I wonder how. No, no, no. Let's let's not even contemplate that. How, how would Bret Hart actually react to a stalker? If I if I was Bob Bamba, I'd say, well, he would take him down and work on his leg. But I am not that cruel. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new sheriff in town now. Yeah, this was a this was a bad match. This was the worst Brett pay-per-view performance since Bad Blood last year. He absolutely phoned this one in. No arguments at all. Poor psychology was all over the place. Didn't give a fuck. And you can say you can defend him again to a degree, saying yes, this was a, booked as a seven-minute match with a TV title, upper mid-card only at the pay-per-view, which is booked to end in a lame DQ. I get all of that. Brett needs to be above all that. But even so, his performance here was not good. And it disappointed me because I wanted to see what Booker could do against him. I mean, Booker has come on leaps and bounds in the last year. I feel like we've been tracking his progress really closely. All the matches with Benoit, his matches with the likes of Saturn, etc., Martel, whatever, really shown his chops and really come into his own. Everything we've seen from him, he has proved himself to be a good worker. He is, he is now in that category, no mistake. So I really wanted to see what he could do against one of the very best. We didn't get the opportunity. Yes, it wasn't booked to be that good, but Brett wasn't giving him anything here, and that was a real crying shame. Brett is now the US champion, which again seems totally beyond him. He's just doing nothing here. His promos are still very good. The heel work that he did all of last year is clearly rubbed off, and he can cut a basic I'm a bad guy promo now with the best of them. But we said it last month, he shouldn't just be a basic, I am a bad guy now, bad guy. He should be, at the very, very, very least, the number two babyface in the company. But it is what it is. Yeah, Bob, you put it best. This match was so disappointing. Could have been special. It was an absolute comparative horror show. That just should not be happening with these two. Really a letdown. Two matches to go. Kurt Hennig emerges with a mocked-up Goldberg telling him that he is next. <laughs> making Kurt the only person in the back who hasn't read the run sheet. This one does get the buffer treatment. He actually calls, this is interesting, he calls Bill the WCW NWO champion. Probably buffer screwing up, but maybe one to watch. So we're off with Goldberg making his first defense against Kurt Hennig. The chant goes up and Bill responds with some shoulder tackles, which Hennig does for 1992 Royal Rumble Salon. His chops are totally null-sold. And for fuck's sake, Bill, stop doing that scissor-roll leg takedown type thing. Ah, a power slam off the top rope. That's more like it. 
Henry grabs the leg though and manages to get some work on it. Bobby calls Goldberg's finisher the jackknife and nobody corrects him. Ugh. Bill does that move again. I said, stop. Hennig flexes out of nowhere. Yeah, that's going to do it. Yeah, Absolutely no drama whatsoever on that cookout. Clothesline, spear, jackhammer, done. Bob, I feel we've already talked about this match a lot today, but this is a bad sign for Goldberg, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not a world title caliber match that I don't think anybody would have wanted to have seen. Uh, you know, why not have Scott Hall challenge yeah. him here like hey you beat me on nitro well now you're champ big guy let's see if you can do it twice something i love that. Is that you know fantastic it'd be such a stronger match um i mean this is just i was the one thing i'll say is i was surprised that henning did the fisherman suplex and he got a near fall that was the only thing i was like oh wow he actually got something in that had some kind of form of impact on goldberg but no, I mean, I, I don't want to see a three-minute match for the world title on pay-per-view. I just I don't want to see it. I don't see why. Like I said, like I just said with the Scott Hall thing, and you and you agreed with it, that would have been a far better match, and I probably wouldn't be so annoyed with the pay-per-view if it, if there was just anything remotely stronger than what we got here. If you put Scott Hall here, that legitimately is a bit of doubt behind the finish of the match. Oh yeah, I mean Scott Hall has has credibility. Yeah, being pumped up. You know, he lost to Goldberg, but the belt wasn't on the line yet. That was just to see if Goldberg could become number one contender. Now we're on pay-per-view. It's for the title. Can you beat me again? This stuff sells itself. And you could e e even then, you could play it in to the Hogan Hall tension we see a bit later on. But they went with a three-minute squash of an ice-cold Kurt Hennig, Billy. Really not much to add to that. No, there's really nothing else to add. It was... Just a quick squash, really, and nothing new happening for Goldberg, which is a bit of a shame. Yep, and as we said earlier, just tread carefully, WCW. Tread very, very carefully. Which brings us to our main event, which Michael Buffer calls the talk of the sports world. And that is Hollywood Hogan and his pal Dennis Rodman against Diamond Dallas Page and Karl Malone. Right then, bit of backstory. Dennis Rodman was due to appear on the go-home Nitro in the Georgia Dome, but he no-showed. It appears he was actually at a Pearl Jam concert, appearing on stage drinking from a wine bottle. Eddie Vedder said to Rodman during this, it looks like you've been drinking for three days straight. Eddie Vedder, no stranger to slugging wine from a bottle on stage, it must be said. Apparently Rodman, he disappeared for a few minutes and then came back on again. I wonder what song he was interrupting. Maybe something really crap from No Code. Something like uh, In My Tree or something like that. <laughs> and uh, he was then ushered off the stage by guitarist Stone Gossard, which I would really like to have seen. So Rodman did turn up here. <laughs> Thank you. In quite the state, as we will get to. Another point for this match. Hogan, who else, wanted it to be, oh yes, 45 minutes long. Four, five, which would have made it, I believe, the longest match in WCW pay-per-view history. I think I'm right in saying that would have made it the longest match in major television, NWA WCW history, since the small matter of Steamboat versus Flair at Clash of the Champions 6, which, as we will get to, is not really the match you can compare this one to. <laughs> so only at 24 minutes to go. Right, here we are. 
Hogan, Rodman, DDP, Malone. We can get through this, guys. Let's do it. Right. Plenty of photographers around here as if this was WrestleMania 11 or something. Eric, if you're listening, there's my monthly reference to it. And then we actually get a good sign in the crowd. The mailman will deliver on a Sunday. Sue me. I like that one. The faces clear the ring. Hot take. Carl Malone is very tall. Long stall-out sequence in which Hogan threatens use of his belt. And we actually start with Rodman and Malone. Dennis' eyes look suspiciously bleary when he takes his glasses off. I wonder why. He hides in the ropes multiple times before we can get anything going. A test of strength is teased, but Calder slaps Rodman's hands. We finally tie up and Dennis puts on something vaguely resembling a headlock. Maloma sort of just shoves him to the outside and Rodman has no idea how to bump off that one. He wisely tags out and here's Hogan. Malone steals his taunt. You'll never work in this town again, brother. Carl with a neck lock. Yes, I know a neck lock isn't a thing. Work with me here. And he drags Hollywood around the ring for a while. Then, like last month, he hits the Hulkster with an entirely competent body slam. Page in now and he has to face Rodzilla. Rodman gets dumped to the mat and he wears completely the wrong facial expression. Mate, you're a basketball player. He's a wrestler. You shouldn't look surprised. Rodman look, doesn't look steady on his feet. Yeah, there's a shock, but is able to dodge a DDP attack. The audience get a Goldberg chunk going, I think, as the two collide off a shoulder charge. A headlock ends in Rodman hitting the deck, again with Grace being but a forlorn hope, and Page gets two off that. Two leapfrogs from Rodman, but he then utterly fucks up whatever offensive move he was going for. Possibly a diving clothesline? God knows. It ends up being some sort of body tackle. That draws open laughter from the crowd, and then they just boo the hell out of him. Overhand knuckle lock by Hogan on Malone. Cheap shot out of ref's view by Rodman, and Hogan is in with his horrific heel offense. He's reverted to type after last week. Standing elbow by Dennis, which was so utterly average, he is able to do it again. He then throws Malone into Hogan's boots, and he kicks out at two. He is also easily out after some weak Hogan punches. That was probably a shoot. More pitiful excuses for hold by Terry Boy. Rodman again falls over, falls over, this time after holding up Malone for a punch. This is a disgrace, man. Side suplex by Hogan, and the camera actually catches Rodman looking completely out of it on the apron. By some accounts, he actually fell asleep at that point. Desperation tag by Malone and Paige cleans house. Rodman is awake enough to knee him in the back to quell that particular mutiny. Hogan back with a belt for some whippage. Double clothesline, but DDP kicks out. Corner clothesline, and the heels are bossing it. Wake up, Dennis. It's your turn. He needs a lot of help in just slapping on a headlock and cutting off the ring before once again sensibly tagging out. Suplex by Hogan, and you can sense that the crowd just want this one to end now. DDP chant is there, but it's very, very light. Not a patch on the Goldberg one earlier. He fights off both the bad guys, though, and that shakes out the stupor of the crowd a little bit. He makes the hot tag and Malone mows down the attack, mows down the antagonists. Slam for Rodman. Everybody liked that one. Me very much included. Noggin knocker and head to the turnbuckle and then his own big boot. He calls for the cutter, but he tags in DDP, who hits it on Hogan. For some reason, the referee, looking right at it, doesn't count. Rodman staggers in. Yeah, that will help. And then Malone hits a cutter on him. Somebody clearly missed their cue there. I wonder who. Robertson tries to get them out to the ring, allowing the fucking disciple to hit the fucking apocalypse, allowing fucking Hogan to fucking roll over and get the fucking win. Fucking hell. 
Malone rightly attacks both Disciple and Robinson with cutters as the NWO gloats in very unedifying fashion to end this show. Well, Billy, it was only 24 minutes, but really. No, no, no. I mean, really. Well, thankfully, it's not going to take me 24 minutes to explain uh, or sum up how I felt about this match. This match was long. It was really long. In fact, it went so long that I think I fell asleep during it. And when I woke up after feeling really refreshed, the match was still going on. I'm not convinced the match isn't still going on now. You know what? I I think it probably is. Uh, Dennis Rodman's probably performing it somewhere on his own, thinking there's like three other people there helping him. Uh, This was terrible. The entrances were longer than anything else on this card, which is such a shame. There was so much stalling and building to the tag, which is very old school psychology, but it really didn't work in front of this crowd. They just did not seem into it. The only thing I did like about this match was Cole Malone showed some good fire during his comeback. He did the routine babyface spots pretty well. Obviously, Dennis Rodman doing what he did. Uh, God, uh, he looked an embarrassment out there, and they shouldn't have put him out there in that position. But then do you threaten that big match and take it away from the fans? Would there have been a riot if you took it away? Who really knows? And it fucking finished with interference from that fucking barber. I'm really not happy with this match. This was probably going to do more harm to WCW in the long run because this was built as a great big match, which was probably going to draw in people that haven't watched the product before. And after seeing this, are they going to be turned off because of it? I would probably assume, yes, they will. I mean, this got huge mainstream publicity. I mean, we're talking proper mainstream stuff, big papers all across America. And yes, most of it was why they're doing that wrestling crap, but I suppose don't read it, weigh it and all that. But, and again, people were still talking about it. It's better to be talked about than not talked about, at least for the naysayers. And let's face it, there'll be plenty of them. Give them something that at least try to make them change their mind. This match was not it. But I'm always going to give it an extra star just for you saying the fucking barber at the end. <laughs> so, suddenly it's all become worthwhile. Bob, at least it was 45 minutes. Uh, well, Rory, I think you enjoyed it far more than I did, judging by how <laughs> oh, you read the finale. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you right now, if this match had gone 45 minutes, I don't think there'd be enough vodka in the world for me to get through it. And I'm not even a drinker. So... <laughs> Let that one sink in. And then, uh, you know, Rodman falling asleep on the apron, I think, was kind of like a call to all the fans at home that were probably falling asleep. And he was right there in the middle of it, falling asleep on the apron. I mean, it's just boring stuff. Uh, I will say, though, just by appearance, it looked like, you know, Malone was taking it pretty seriously. So I got to give him credit for that. Uh, my my interest in the action there dwindled probably about three minutes in. I was like, good, good, good Lord, just have this be over with. DDP's reaction was noticeably um, silent compared to what it was four or five months ago. And I think a lot of that has to come down to at least my understanding of, you know, who DDP is supposed to be. You know, he's this rebel 
kind of loner guy, and now he's teaming up with a star athlete. I don't think it meshes very well with who he's supposed to be presented as. And, uh, you know, it just – I feel the ideal thing here would just be Malone pinning Rodman because, like Scottie Pippen said, you know, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. It would have been good to have him maybe deliver once on Rodman and get over there. But this was just a disaster of a main event, and um, I'm just glad that I was able to survive it. Just about. <laughs> you, you, Like all of us, you wear the scars, Bob, my friend. Why didn't the faces go over in this match? I mean, it's completely inconsequential. It's not going to mean anything. Half the faces go over then. Now, a win for Hogan's team means nothing in the long run. It just pisses off the crowd. If I had to sit through 24 minutes of non-action in two non-wrestlers, one of whom was trying bloody hard. Now, I thought Malone looked very nervous out there, but he was giving his best and all credit to him. Whilst... Rodman was living it up every night before this event, including no showing the event he was supposed to be at, the Nitro. By all accounts, Malone was training hard day after day, night after night. So full props to him for that. Give them something to cheer. They have, Yes, they had the Goldberg squash earlier, but come on, that was always going to happen. Hogan's team losing this. It's not going to hurt Hogan's drawing power. People wanted to see Robin get beaten. People know that the guy is just a complete schlub. People were openly laughing at him during this match, and quite rightly so, because he just totally unprofessional. Listen, I was not expecting him to go out there and become the second coming of Luthez, for God's sake. But make it look as though you care. He had clearly been on it the night before, again. You know, his eyes told a thousand stories, as the saying goes. Every time he was called up, he couldn't even do the most basic, basic things. He fell over about four times, fell asleep on the turnbuckle. An appalling performance, which he should be utterly ashamed of. But he's got friends in high places. Nobody's going to tell him that. <laughs> I wouldn't really trust him to understand what calling an audible was. I'm not sure he has, his ears were working properly. But if they did, have somebody get in one of those ears and just say... Robin, lay down for three seconds. You're taking the pin here, pal, and you fucking deserve to. But it was just a 24-minute bore fest. It's in almost fairness to Robin and definite fairness to Malone. That is too long for non-wrestlers to go, even in a tag team environment. Hogan isn't going to be able to carry a match for that long. And as good as Paige is these days, as much as I like him and I enjoy seeing him on my TV every week, he isn't a model worker. He's not a carrier. He can't lead matches. What you will get from him is 100% effort every week and every month on pay-per-view. That's guaranteed. He's not adept enough as a wrestler to haul inferior people to good matches. He needs to be in the ring with people better than him. Then he will raise his game and give you his utmost, make no mistake. That wasn't playing to his strengths either. And the finish, not only was it the wrong people winning, it was so lame. I tell you what, have Rodman hit a move on Malone whilst DDP is distracted, even if it is just, I don't know, some sort of clothesline or something. I could buy that a basketball player putting a basketball player down with that as a finish. Don't get the motherfucking Ed Leslie involved in 1998. Just carry Hogan's bags and count yourself lucky, man. Don't be on my TV and sure as hell tomorrow, don't be cutting a sodding promo on my buck. No, my Monday nights are precious. I don't want to see you challenging Paige. Oh, what an 
absolute killer this was to what was wasn't exactly a stellar pay per view before. All publicity is good publicity, as I've said, but good publicity can be better publicity. But they didn't do that once again. They took the wrong decision. I feel like I've said it so often this year whilst I've been at the helm for World Championship Wrestling. Is somebody doing this on purpose? The best decisions are staring them in the face and they intentionally look the other way. Just because you were so right to put the title on Goldberg when people wanted it doesn't mean you can't give people what they want to other terms. Now, Carmelo has gone. He was on the Utah Nitro. Dennis Rodman has <laughs> very literally gone. You don't need to keep a story going here. The NWO Black and White Wolfpack doesn't need them beating DDP and a basketball player to continue. Give your paying public something to cheer. If you're going to have a sit-through 24 minutes of a main event, make it worth something. But you didn't. A capper to this pay-per-view par excellence, if you will. So then, Bob, your thoughts on this event as a whole and score rating out of 10. I'm going to keep this pretty simple. I'm glad I just survived it, and I'll give it a three. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Billy? Uh, avoid this show do not watch it stay away from it it had three good matches so like bob i'm gonna give it a three i am ever so slightly higher at a 3.5 which is still a good half less than i gave you are crazy i'll give it a a 3.5 oh yes 3.5 oh yes i ranked this alongside great american bash 89 and wrestlemania 10 (laughs) spring stamping and all of that uh, if you haven't watched this show, your life is half-lived. No, this was a really bad pay-per-view. The Yes, there were three good matches on there, but I've got to say they were no better than good. All of those combinations have given us better in the past. People who should have known better gave us poor performances. Yes, Brett, I'm looking at you. And the main event, which we just once again, as if we needed another one, a Hogan ego stroke. Hulk, mate, if somebody keeps stroking your ego this often, you're going to start losing your hair. And we don't want that to happen, do we? But yeah, really, really bad pay-per-view. No reason to watch this at all. Three and a half out of ten. And yes, it can count itself lucky for that score. Hollywood is all eyes and all ears. And if it wasn't for you, Scott Hall... I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in right now. If you didn't drop the ball, if you didn't let Goldberg mow you down, I would still have my belt. And oh yeah, brother, I've heard the crap, and I've heard your rap in the back. I've heard the rumors. I've heard the fact that you said Hollywood might not be the man that maybe Scott Hall should start running the show. Well, tonight, it's gut check time for Black and White NWO. And I want to find out what you're made of and how loyal you are to the cause, brah. I'm calling you out tonight in the center of the ring. That's the first wow. order of family business. 
You're mine. Hey, yo. You questioning my loyalty to the black and white? I did everything you told me to do. I, wa I whacked Nash with the belt like you told me to. I've done everything you said because honestly, I need the money. But if you want some of Scott Hall right here in Vegas in front of the whole world in Nitro, And uh, by the way, by the way, by the way, Goldberg beat me, that's true. And then right after that, he took your belt. Oh my. Now the fingers are pointing all directions. <laughs> so, so, uh, so uh, Hollywood, you want some of Scott Hall? Don't sing it, bring it. Las Vegas, Nevada is where we end up out of the pay-per-view. After a lengthy recap of last week, we start with Hogan. He cuts the same promo he always does when he loses a belt, but this time it's Goldberg whose days are numbered. Hollywood calls out Hall for dropping the ball last week. It's gut check time for the NWO, as he will face Hall tonight. Scott responds by saying he did all he was asked for the money, and the match is on. Hogan, don't sing it, bring it. Hollywood even has a pop at Bischoff, he'll be the referee for the match. And oh fuck no, Disciple has the mic. He wants that coward page later. Bischoff sells exasperation with the whole deal. And I can't say that I blame him. Ah, Horace v Barbarian. That'll help. Barbie wins with a stop sign to the head before the flock do what the flock do. Meng then returns to apparently help his fellow fear face until he attacks him. So now we're going to hear from Goldberg, right? Nope. Instead, here is the person he beat, Kurt Hennig. Rude blames Bill for his flight being cancelled. Nope. And tonight, Kurt wants him again, but he won't need Rude's help. JJ brings out Ray to congratulate him on his win last night, but Jericho is here instantly. He has page 237 of the WCW rulebook with him. If a suspended wrestler interferes in a match, it is null and void, and Dylan cannot argue. So the belt is back with Jericho. Ron and Malenko are furious at this, so Jericho himself makes a match between them for the number one contendership tonight. And at the other end of the scale, we have Jim Duggan versus Rick Fuller. Old Glory wraps this one up with merciful haste. Buff is here with his wheelchair again. He has something to say to the man who injured him, Rick Steiner. But Hogan interrupts and he calls them both cripples. He says Buff needs to stop acting like a babyface and shoves him out of the wheelchair. Brett v Finley could be interesting. One day. Here Brett wins with the sharpshooter with the minimum of fuss. Rick Martel makes his return from very real injury against Stevie Ray who brings the TV title with him. Rick has the crab on, but Brett whacks him with a chair 
and Stevie wins with that slapjack thing. Stevie supposedly has the power of attorney to defend Booker's belt for him. Bari Darsal versus Conan next. Uh, not much going on here. K-Dog wins very easily. Seeing Sting as his running buddy is very, very depressing. Gene talks to DDP, just for a change like. He's been hit with every weapon under the sun, but you don't see him crying. He faces the disciple now. He wins, but only after botched interference by Rude. Hogan, of course, beats him down afterwards. Canyon gets attacked by Raven, who gets attacked by Saturn, and all of that is before their triangle match. It's a wild one, okay, with all of them going through a table, and we get a Tower of Doom spot. And of course, because this is WCW, a double count out. Raven goes on to win. So here comes Ray versus Dean. It is of course a free TV corker until Jericho slugs Dean with the belt. Ray covers and gets the title shot. The Dancing Fools, gee, Zing Tony, face Luger and Nash. Ruck for right, Jackknife for Disco, and there you go. But the foot on the chest pin, okay, that's a bit much, Kev. Eddie, and Hare, is against Mongo. The latter is still making a plea to Arn Anderson to reform the horseman. Chavo rates Pepe down to ringside because he wants to be a horseman. Get it? The ref throws this one out and Mongo answers Chavo's request with the spike. Buffer is on hand for Hogan versus Hall. And remember, Bischoff is the guest ref. Not much doing here until Paige interferes and he wipes out Bischoff. And then Nash stops Disciple and Hogan. He and Hall share a too sweet moment until Scott then attacks him. The black and white stand tall. The show ends though with Bill Goldberg, you know, the world champion, against Kurt Hennig again. So then, on to the 20th of July, and we're in Salt Lake City, Utah. No need for a survey from Hall, who opens things up. Instead, he cuts right to the chase, and says that Kevin Nash is not half the man that Hollywood Hogan is. Gee, I wonder who wrote that one? The black and white is just too sweet. Stevie Ray, without TV title, is against Johnny Boone, I think? The Lone Ranger and Tonto, well, Chavo and Pepe, have said belt with them, and when Stevie wins, he casually grabs it back. Gene chats to Rick Steiner. He did everything for Scott, because if you can trust anybody, you can trust your brother. But Scott wants to walk alone. As such, he could walk alone against Rick at Road Wild. Buff and his wheelchair are here. Rick apologises profusely for what happened in April. He will help Buff any way he can. Buff responds and says that he was mad, but over time, he has come to forgive him. Scott then belts Rick with a chair. And then Buff does the same, tears off his neck brace, and reveals an NWO shirt. Get to fuck with that crap. Oh. Anyway, now we hear from Jericho. He tears Malenko down, using his own actions against him, which is brilliant. And he calls himself a true paragon of virtue. So next week, he will give Dino a shot, but it will be his last chance. Hall bursts in on our commentary team. He has no interest in seeing Kevin Nash starring in Tears of Endearment later, but we will get to see the interview shortly. Mongo faces Sick Boy, but Spike does it. We get clips from Thunder now of Malenko telling Arn that people believe in him, and with his guidance, who knows where they could go. Anderson rebukes them though, and he shows off his next scar. These days he has the heart, but he doesn't have the tools. Just let it be. Bischoff's late show is up. The crowd give this the respect it deserves, which is outrageous heat, which luckily drowns out the fake laughs from his diabolical jokes, which even then aren't even his, they're Jay Leno's. 
But now here is the sit-down interview with Nash. He brings up Hall's very real personal problems. He wants to help, wants him to see the light. But Scott just doesn't want to listen, won't return his calls, wants nothing to do with him. The interview is then stopped for technical difficulties, which are actually Scott Hall cutting it off in the production truck. But Nash was watching. He then beats on Hall until the NWO get to him. They actually burst out of their trailer to do so. The Red and Black offer their help, and then we cut away. Brett wants his match with Diamond Dallas Page right now, but as we can see, Page has been attacked backstage. Conan is there, I think trying to help, but who really knows. JJ tells Brett that he's going to have to wait. So we get Yuji Nagata versus Saturn instead. Raven attacks with the even flow, and when Nagata lock finishes it off. The flock hop in to pick on the bones, but Canyon comes down to clean house, including a second rope pile driver for Kidman, but once again Saturn drills him. Very big match for this stage of the show, Nash and Sting defending the tag belt against Hall and Giant. Scott wants none of Kev during this one, but he can't hide for long. Nash gets himself some, but Giant prevents the jackknife. Sting gets the scorpion on, but then Brett turns up. Sting shoves him, but that leaves him in position for an outside edge and new tag team champions. We haven't seen Muta and Chono for a while, but now they get a run out against the Dancing Dodos. A leg bar is all we need here. Scott Norton helps out too. Then Dragon easily dispatches with Tokyo Magnum via the sleeper. And now Norton defeats Jim. Yes, I'm still here. Powers. I thought we'd escaped, but no, here's Hogan and co. Bischoff is going to take over the late night scene. I think by that he means a talk show, or at least I hope he does. Hogan tries to talk Japanese, as if this is the build-up to WrestleMania 9 or something. And the segment just meanders to a close. Eddie vs Conan is next. K-Dog has Utah Jazz player Antoine Carr with him. Yes, that's right, no sign of Carr Malone on this show. The match is thrown out when Pepe gets involved. Oh, and Charvo too. Here's Luca vs Hennig. That'll teach me to mention WrestleMania 9. Rude gets chased off, but the Hennig Plague steals the win. We do indeed finish up with Brett vs the injured page for the US title. DDP gets destroyed in this one. He scraps his way to the ropes on the first sharpshooter attempt, but not the second. Bret Hart is the new US champion. What happened to you last week is a tragedy. Hogan thinks he can come out here and do whatever he wants to do. I know you wanted to bring me out and say something to me, and I feel like you being in that wheelchair. I went out in that match, in a at wherever it was at, I went out there to win. I didn't go out there to paralyze you. I went out there to win that match, and I feel in some way that it's my fault you're, you're in a wheelchair now. I, I feel it's my fault that you're in the situation you're in. And, and, and I just want to, you know, say to you, I'm, uh, I feel bad for what's happened. I feel bad for the situation you're in. If there's anything I can do, if there's any way I can help you out, I'll be there. Marcus, uh, certainly you've got to have some response to that. You know what, Rick? Ever since this injury, I've had thousands of pieces of fan mail, and every piece of it asked me, do I forgive you? What are you going to do about the Rick Steiner situation? And at first, I'm not going to lie to you, Rick, I was mad about it. I was seriously mad. But over time, you know, I don't know what's going on between you and Scotty. That's y'all's deal, you know. What you've done to me has changed my life. It may not look like it right now sitting in this chair, but let me tell you something, brother. You've done something to me that's made me look at everything a total different. Each and every fan out here, I love them a totally different way. And it's all because of you, and I want to tell you, I forgive you for what you did for me, and I can't tell you what you just said, what it means to my heart. And I want to tell you, brother, I love you. 
Rick, Rick Steiner, that's that's quite a... But look at there, embracing... Hey! Oh, this is insanity! Oh, my God! Hey! Get out of here! What in the world is going on? Marcus Bagwell! Out of his wheelchair! Oh, no! Have people lost their minds here? Not with the new world order has! Not only out of his wheelchair, he ripped, up, he ripped off that neck brace! Can you believe that? The ultimate swerve. Get out of here. Can you look? And there's a man who just had shoulder surgery. And he cannot take too many blows from that steel chair. Well, apparently Bagwell is all healed. Two more things to discuss before we wrap up for the month. As you would have heard the TV reports there. One of which potentially interesting. One of which really, really quite saddening. And we'll start with that one now. If you were listening to us back in April, you will have heard the very sad news of the injury sustained by Marcus Bagwell in a match on Thunder, where he took a errant bulldog off the second rope from Rick Steiner and landed in such a way where he was instantly paralysed, couldn't move, everybody panicked, and this, remember, is live TV. There were complications involved, and we now know how serious that injury was. He was millimetres away from full permanent paralysis and if the impact of his neck on the mat had been an inch higher he might well have lost his life a stark reminder of the risks that these mortals we forget that sometimes these mortals take purely to entertain regular Joes like you and I so moving on Buff makes his comeback at the Georgia Dome Nitro in his hometown and cuts what I thought was a really nice promo. In fact, promo is probably a bit unfair. It was just him talking to the fans. I thought this was entirely legitimate, where he was thanking the people for all the thousands of letters and cards he'd received. He was clearly overwhelmed. And at that moment at the end when he said, and got a huge pop for it, I'm still Buff and I'm the stuff, I thought, yeah, really nice moment. When Bagwell is fully recovered, He's going to get a baby face run out of this and a good thing too. A week later on Nitro, he gets shoved out of his wheelchair by Hulk Hogan. Okay, that's okay. Didn't really injure him, most important thing of all. But yeah, added heat on Hogan because yeah, he's got to get his heat back, brother. I don't know who on, but he's got to. <laughs> Makes Bagwell all the more sympathetic. Okay, I can run with this. But then we get what you will have heard earlier. And that is Rick Steiner coming out and apologising for what happened. And Bagwell treated it like any human being would. He said, yeah, at the time, I was mad. I was really mad with you, Rick. But in the cold light of day, I've come to think about it. I've been lying in a hospital bed day after day. And I've thought that, yes, these things can happen. I'm getting better now. And you know what? I bear you no ill will. And I forgive you. And I thought, yes. This is pro wrestling really doing it. And then Scott Steiner comes out and he hits Rick with a chair. And I'm like, no, this is potentially dodgy ground. But no, Buff's going to come to the rescue now. No, hang on. What's happening here? Scott's handing him the chair. Hey, wait a minute. Did, did Bagwell, did he just hit Rick Steiner with the chair there? And why is he removing the neck brace? And no, that's an... NWO shirt he's wearing underneath. No, 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 no. You, you, you don't, you don't do that. 
Mate, you nearly died three months. You... No. No. You're not making a heel turn out of this. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. That is what they've done. And then to make matters worse the next week, and this really rubs salt in the wound, you had Buff being rolled down to ringside by Scott, falling out of the wheelchair. Oh, no, he's really fine. And then he has the nerve to call his to say that his previous injury was not fake. I hated this. I thought this was really quite disgusting. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this is real, a moral low point in the nearly five years we've been doing this. Billy, what were your thoughts on all of this? Because I thought this was just terrible. Yes, this is pro wrestling. Yes, this is entertainment. If you've got people legitimately behind you because you're almost paralysed and centimetres from death, why not use that as something positive for a change? They should have used uh, that as something positive going forward. They could have had a really big new babyface star in Buff. Okay, Buff isn't the greatest in-ring worker, but he was really over. The crowd was really behind him. They really wanted to see him obviously go to war with the NWO, but for it to all be a swerve and for him just to rejoin the NWO in all over this this injury, which should not be exploited in this way for a swerve hill turn. It's, it, I don't understand why anyone thought that this would be a good way to make money with Buff Bagwell after such a serious and scary injury. It, it, my mind boggles as into who thought this was a good idea. I'm with you, my friend. What do you think, Bob? Uh, it's baffling. I mean, it, it seems like WCW certainly needs another strong babyface character. And if there was ever a chance for them to find one organically, it's right here. And instead, they do a ridiculous heel turn, and there's real no long-term payoff for it. And now Bagwell's just going to be another guy. If he had turned babyface... He's arguably behind what Goldberg and Sting and DDP. He's probably in the top four or five in that role. And if he can blossom in that, he can potentially move up. So it's it's a, a dumb, dumb decision. And it just continues to show that WCW, from a business perspective, they're just lost and this was something they threw against the wall, hoping that it would work. And I think it failed absolutely miserable. And uh, I can't imagine that anyone with a right mind would think that it was a good idea. There are so many emotions you should feel whilst watching wrestling. You could be happy. You could be sad. You could be excited. You can be bored. <laughs> you could be gripped. You can be sat there wrapped waiting to see what happens. You could be pissed off, and that is fine. But one thing you should never be as a pro wrestling fan is legitimately angry. If you go back and listen to our year review from 1997, I was genuinely furious at the booking of the one-night-only main event when Shawn Michaels humiliated British Bulldog by taking a title from him, which he did not need to win in his home country in front of his genuinely dying sister. This is on a par 
with that, maybe even exceeds it to some degree. I was, I don't mind saying, I was horrified when I watched this on Nitro a couple of weeks ago. Utterly horrified. It would have been bad enough if they had done an injury angle with Bagwell for this. The Rick Steiner injures him in storyline. He's off for two months. He's two months off for whatever reason. And then he comes back. I wouldn't have liked it then because I thought that would have made Bagwell look too much of an asshole. Yes, your heels should be pricks, but I still do think there is a line. I think even there, that would have been a bit too much to swallow. But this wasn't this wasn't a planned storyline. No, Buff Bagwell was, I'm sure, supposed to feud with him for a while. No, nobody wrote, oh, this is the part where Bagwell legitimately breaks his neck and undergoes serious complications as a part of surgery and is near paralysis or even death. That's not the stroke of Kevin Sullivan's pen. Now, Bischoff didn't come up with that one. Terry Taylor didn't bound into the office with that suggestion. Oh, no, that was real life. And the outpouring of genuine emotion and support he got at the Georgia Dome Nitro. That is the sort of thing you run with. Everybody says about pro wrestling who doesn't understand it. Oh, it's all scripted. Oh, it's, there's no real emotion. Oh, you just cheer who you like. Cheer who you're supposed to like. Boo who you're supposed to dislike. Yeah, but when something real comes along and you're being cheered because you are still with us, you are still in our wrestling family, then use that for something positive. And if in six months' time, you know, Bagwell's pops are starting to diminish and you come up with a genuine storyline idea to turn him heel, then that is fine. But here you have been, I don't even know if presented is the right word, but I'm going to say it, presented with an opportunity to create a star out of the possible worst-case scenario, and it's there in your lap, then take it. Do not use something as real as somebody being seriously injured in the name of entertainment just for a dumb heel turn. And I bet you now that when people are booing Bagwell, it will not be heel heat. It will be, I'm disgusted by what I'm seeing heat. And again, let me put this on the record. I do not blame Marcus Alexander Bagwell for this. Okay, This isn't, this isn't his fault. Uh, by all accounts backstage, he's a very nice and well-respected guy. And there's not a shred of doubt in my mind that he and Rick, uh, Rob Steiner, I should say, I suppose, have legitimately made up on this one. No question at all. My issue is not with Bagwell. It is with World Championship Wrestling. And they have turned something which people would really get behind. This guy, yes, look, he's cheated paralysis. He's cheated death. He is still in there doing what he loves best, entertaining people who pay to come to see him. I'm going to cheer that guy. That was right there. And for the sake of a stupid angle, which nobody cares about anyway. No, but Bagwell isn't even involved in this. It's between Rick and Scott Steiner. Bagwell doesn't even need to play a role. Yet you kill it right before our eyes. They say morality is not the place to go looking. You know, you shouldn't go looking for morality in pro wrestling. And okay, I understand that. But I don't need any more reasons why that should be the case. So this was an absolute heartbreaker, I'm sad to say. It's Nitro number 150 and we're in the Alamo Dome. And once again, Hall has a stick. He'll puke if he hears medium-sized sexy crying anymore. 
So he issues a challenge to the red and black at Road Wild. And the last one standing wins. And then Brian Adams does some talking. Uh -huh. He was in Japan ticking butts and taking names. You wonder why he doesn't talk often. When he heard Goldberg beat Hogan. Tonight he will prove it was a fluke. Uh-huh. Raven tells us that he is not one of society's norms, but sat in sprints of the ring to take on the spoilt rich kid that he is. Conan jumps him though, then gets DVD'd again. Big Guy recovers this time and hits a flatliner. Our feature bout on challenge today is the Barbarian vs Jim Duggan. As such, it's a Duggan roll-up for the win. Once again, Main gets involved, but this time the Barbarian hits back. Another interminable edition of whatever Bischoff show thing is called now. The jokes are even worse this time out. The crowd die, then they come back to life again with some very choice chants. And the special guest today is Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Well, blow me down. He actually calls Jay Leno out, oh, spare me, and threatens to kick his butt on his own show. Hogan will be back later. Thanks for the heads up. Oh look, Gene Oakland is interviewing Dallas Page. Hogan, you suck. Okay, that's got me interested again. You shouldn't hunt what you can't kill. Tonight, Hollywood is going to feel his wrath. Hall is back at the commentary table. He's got Dusty and Norton with him this time. As Nash doesn't have the guts to face him, why doesn't Sting try his luck? And then Dusty takes the mic and he actually puts a Texas gag order on Larry Zabisco and then accuses the living legend of, and I quote, butchering the English language. Physician, heal thyself. Norton then wipes out the anvil in the time it took me to say this. Security knock on Goldberg's door, but his locker room has been ransacked and dubbed with NWO for life graffiti. Uh-oh. Brett is in the ring, and he reprises his good men die like dog speech from a few months ago. But now, nice guys do win. The issue with Sting is just a misunderstanding. His respect for Sting is the reason Brett only remains on the fringes of the NWO. That almost makes sense. Sting, I'm your friend. Now it's Jericho versus Malenko for the final time. Butterfly Bomb sets up the Cloverleaf as the crowd go nuts, but the Lionheart makes the ropes. He does again after a top rope DDT. Then Jericho grabs some knocks. Dean gets them off him. He uses them himself, but Mark Curtis sees it. That was Malenko's last chance. Hennig versus Mongo. A quickfire Hennigplex is all we need to talk about here. Bischoff kept his promise about Hogan coming back. Ah oh well. As Paige called him out, the gutter trailer trash puke, he will end his career tonight. We then get a substantial portion of the Bash at the Beach main event. Yes, this was presented as the NWO showing us doctored footage, but even so, this sort of thing sets a dangerous precedent in my book. Panic over everybody, we found Bill Goldberg, and he's going to... talk? Okay. He's actually more softly spoken than you might think. Possibly more softly spoken than he should be. But he does waste no time in ensuring the NWO know he has destroyed everybody in his way. And Brian Adams, you're next. Hmm, that wasn't really worth the wait. And there's a reason that I did not put this promo in the open. The promo quality meter has just shot up though, because he is on. He pulls both Dean and Mongo up for losing tonight. He can't hook his horse to a cart with two wheels and one broken one. Again, just let it be. Paul and Sting comes up next. Sting gets the death drop on, but here's Brett. Sting gets to kick his ass, but Hennig and the rest of the black and white intervene. 
Then the red and black appear. Brett does indeed just watch on during this. Hall headbutts Nash in the balls, then duffs him up. Sting recovers, but Brett quickly escapes from the scorpion attempt. Buff is wheeled down the aisle by Scott. He actually falls out of his wheelchair, but it's another ruse. Ugh. We set him up, and we knock him down. Dylan berates both of these yahoos, and he will do all he can to ensure Scott vs Rick happens soon. Brian Adams vs Bill Goldberg. Sure. So Hogan and Page does indeed close us out. After a few minutes, Page attacks and hits the cutter. The black and white naturally prevent that pinfall. All three factions then get involved and they rock with each other. And then Goldberg gets him some. Until the show ends with him taking a chokeslam from the giant. He's going through a lot of problems, and uh, I'm not at liberty even now under circumstances to explain what he's been going through, but he's had a lot of personal problems, and, uh, you know, I, I, I took that as, you know, he was just, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the right frame of mind. Uh, I know he'd been manipulated, and I wasn't going to address it because I thought maybe that uh, by not addressing it, it would go away. Uh, that he'd see the light in the meantime. I mean, I've, I've called him. He doesn't return calls. I've tried to talk to him at, at, at numerous arenas, and he walks away. And uh, I just, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the hell he's doing. He continually says to me that you know this is a business and it's about money, and uh, that's fine. But I mean, you know, two and a half years ago when we came in here together as the outsiders, I mean, we started this thing, and. Uh, uh. Uh, fans, I, I apologize. We uh, apparently have some technical difficulties, and we're going to try to bring you that uh, that tape. Uh, obviously, uh, wait a minute. I'm told now we uh, a camera has uh, dispatched back to the truck. You got a minute? It's Scott Hall in the truck. It's your fucking little Scott Hall. Scott Hall. Scott Hall obviously went right in the 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 tape portion of this truck, and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, as you're looking live out back at the E Arena here, are getting it on. He was bold enough to go in that truck. Can you believe the arrogance? And yanked the tape out of the tape machine. He's got more problems than ever now. Look at Rude walked into one. Uh-oh. That's Rude and Hennig. That's Rude and Hennig, and look at uh -oh. this. Here come the NWO black and white troops out of the trailers. Now Nash went to the wrong bus. Scott Norton came out, and the disciple Luger has arrived. Conan members, they're staying. They're all out there. It's an NWO Donnybrook, black and white, against red and black. And now, Hennig holding Kevin Nash. And Nash trying to fight, fight him off. One more thing to talk about before we finish up, and that is the burgeoning, I would say, feud between Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. You would have heard a couple of exchanges between them there. Uh, Bob, I'll come to you first on this one, because I've gone back and forward on this as to whether or not Hall and Nash at this point is really a natural feud. Yes, they're in different factions, the Black and White and the Wolfpack. Yes, they're bringing in a lot of Hall's very real personal problems. You get Kevin Nash doing sit-down interviews, doing his serious voice and what have you. Uh, you have Hall stealing the tag team titles from them on Nitro a couple of weeks ago. But I'm still not absolutely sure if I want to see them feud yet for whatever reason. What do you think? 
Well, I don't like the aspect of bringing in his his real life uh, issues into an angle. It's kind of on par with the Bagwell situation. I've never yeah. really liked that kind of stuff. I agree. But uh, in regard to seeing them feud, I I think at this point I would rather them be together. Uh, I I don't want to use this comparison uh, incorrectly, but it'd be like seeing Road Warrior Hawk against Road Warrior Animal for me at this point. It's like you don't want to see that. You, I think Nash and Hall are more enjoyable together. Um, I mean, sure, they've had a couple of good matches uh, four years ago in the WWF, so there is chemistry there. But, uh, no, I, it seems like a a forced drama-ish kind of brothers feuding or something. It's just, it doesn't really work for me. And I think having the recent Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner issues kind of uh, waters down that aspect of close friends feuding or, or brothers or like brothers feuding it's it's not something that's really catching my interest i would say yeah i'm with you billy do you think part of the problem here is that we haven't really developed a specific issue between nash and hall yet well the only issue they really like hit home about is that scott hall is apparently working for the nwo hollywood through because of money right am i correct in saying that he has gone on the record and promos are saying that yes Right, okay. So, obviously, he's needs the money because they're trying to use his personal issues to get this angle over. I don't think it's right. I'm really not interested in seeing this match in any way whatsoever because I don't feel, like you said, Roy, that they've really... Uh, there is any reason for them to be feuding at this present moment in time. Yeah, they've said pretty much on air that Hall is only in the NWO black and white, as you say, for the money. Yeah, they haven't really advanced that yet. They haven't really played him off as some sort of mercenary or anything like that. It's just something he's said. And I suppose to a degree, you just go with it. Uh, I honestly thought when they did the, uh, the Wolfpack sign on the Nitro a couple of weeks ago, that they actually were reforming there and then. And then Hall went and turned back on him again 10 seconds later. I've got to give WCW some rare credit on this one. The match was originally going to happen at uh, Road Wild, but it's been postponed now. Postponed rather than cancelled, by all accounts. We are going to get it at some point. And if that does mean they can flesh it out a little bit, so when they do face each other, it'll be at Four Brawl or Havoc maybe, or even, who knows, they might even hold it up all the way to Starcade, And it's going to have a reason behind it. Just because your former friends... That is not reason enough to feud with each other. Yes, you could have an eight-minute match on Nitro, but a feud which is going to take in pay-per-views, there needs to be more behind it than that. I, it looks to me as though they're going to go with Nash is trying to talk sense into Hall, but he doesn't want to listen. And again, I think because that's what you said, Bob, they are clearly very heavily hinting at the very real personal issues that Hall has had. Let me say he was in rehab last month. They've done this a lot with Hall. I remember Nash talking about saying, oh, Scott Hall isn't here. He's taking case of business more important than pro wrestling back on an edition of Nitro in March 97. So they've done this a lot. And once is too much, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong on that one. They can't go too far with it. They can't really say, I'll be, are they going to go out there and have a face-to-face promo where Nash turns to Hall's face? Oh, you're a screw-up. You're a drunk. I hope not. I don't want them to do that. But then, if you haven't got that, which they shouldn't have, what are they feuding up? 
Because don't forget, I think we can all safely say, guys, that Nash is the de facto leader of the NWO Wolfpack. I think that's fair, right? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Scott Hall is 100% not the leader of the NWO Black and White. <laughs> I think we all know who. You know, oh, oh, gee, I wonder who that is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Brian so, Adams. Right, oh, should be Brian Adams. Hey, he, 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 called, he, he, called, he called out Goldberg. He called out Goldberg at the end of the month, and uh, and uh, and yeah. Um, so, so this would. It probably doesn't seem like. Yeah, just think about it now out loud. It probably doesn't seem like a star cage match. I don't know. I think also it's a difficult match feud to suspend your disbelief on because everybody knows how tight Nash and Hall are. You don't need to be a real super smart fan to be aware of that. You don't need to devour every pixel of the torch, every dot matrix printout of the Observer to know that. The whole point of pro wrestling, as I almost say every month these days, is buying in. It's a hard for you to buy into. Everybody knows they're still traveling together. They still do signings together. All that kind of thing. I don't trust these two to kayfabe away from the cameras, which is also a problem. So if this does become a feud between them, I hope WCW know what they're doing. I think the matches could be okay. They've had, as you touched on, Bob, they've had good matches against each other. They won on Superstars four years ago where Diesel won the IC title. That was good. Uh, SummerSlam 94, that was a really fun match when Razor won it back. So I think the matches between each other would be fine. But A... I don't want them feuding over real life stuff. And B, I don't really know that who ultimately wins the feud, how it plays into the Wolfpack black and white storyline, which itself I'm still very dubious about. But we have to wait at least a month to see what happens. But as always, keep it locked with us on the podcast to find out. And that brings us to the end of quite the long show this month. I would like to thank Billy Johnson for sticking with us from start to finish. Billy, thank you. Ah. No, thank you, Rory. And uh... <laughs> I'm not sure I deserve thanks for keeping this show going when we have things like this, but there you go. I'll take it. <laughs> Billy, do your plugs. What have you got going on? Tell the world. Oh, right, yes. Uh, you can follow me on the Twitter, which is uh, at Billy underscore J83. And uh, if you like your British wrestling, then uh, head on over to at Brit Rest Review on Twitter and check out all our lovely results and other things on there. Be sure to do that. Bob Colling, thank you, despite all your technical problems, sir, today. Yeah, thanks, uh, Rory, and I'll be sending you my uh, rehab bill if I have a drinking problem after watching <laughs> oh, well, this uh, pay-per-view. Okay, um, just, just let me remortgage my house first and then we'll talk. Uh, okay, Bob, where can, people, where can people find you on Twitter and uh, tell us about all the things you've got going on? Uh, you got. You can find me on Twitter at YoBobbyBoy89. And then I have uh, IcoPod, which is a podcast starting with the first Raw in 93. We're up to the origins of the Lex Express. So I guess well, this is a- well, where we started. Wow. Yeah, this is a perfect time to probably start drinking for real uh, to survive <laughs> that. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. It's been like 10 years since I've watched it. My uh, co-host, Austin, it's I think it's first time seeing it all in a row. So we both might not be on this world much longer if we have to sit through it. Let me give you some advice on this one. Um, because I'm normally, as you know, if you follow uh, the account on Twitter, which I'll get to in a second, 
I am a huge fan of the network. I think it's, I don't know where I'd be without it. It's perfect for this project, for example. And I'm going to throw it on after recording here as well, just put some random stuff on. The hidden gem section in particular is magnificent. Yeah. You've got some gold on there. I mean, I was watching the other day a fantastic match from, I think it was WCW Pro between Eddie and Jushin Liger. High quality stuff, plus four stars. But also, as a recent hidden gems drop, they have put on, I didn't watch it all, okay? They have put on three solid hours of Lex Luger, Lex Express footage. Guess, oh. guess who watched it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I, I'm kidding. I didn't watch the whole three hours. I watched the uh, USS Intrepid part that yeah. I needed, I oh, needed well, to see. But I saw well, the three hours and I said, absolutely not. I'm not watching it. Well, never let, never let it be said, my friend, that you do not suffer for your art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. So, yes, um, the network is great. That Hidden, hidden Gems is great. There's an exception to every rule. But yes, I am Rory McNamara. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast today. You can find me on my individual Twitter account at PlanetsDropUV. But we, we are the Wrestling 20 Years podcast. We are on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. We're also on the Facebooks at Wrestling 20 Years. On the Twitter, we talk about all sorts of stuff, often in timeline, sometimes a lot of modern-day wrestling as well. Uh, keep it locked for our latest live watch-along, which would be SummerSlam 89, which I'm hoping to get to in another couple of weeks, and we will put, be putting out another vote as to what our next watch-along will be after that. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play. All your favorite podcatcher apps, we are on there. We also do have a website, which it must be said does not have a whole lot of new content these days, but it does have a metric ton of written stuff taking in 1993 to 1997, plus the archives of every show we've ever done going all the way back to our prologue in July 1993. So if this is the first show you're listening to and you want to dip back into retro wrestling goodness or badness, then go to the website, knock yourselves out. And we are also on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. As I said at the top of the show, you donate us $5 a month. Keeps us going. Pays for the torch. Pays for the observer. Pays for some of our editing equipment. Unlike a lot of other shows out there, we will not just take your money for the sake of it. Your $5 donations every month is the reason we can give you three shows every four weeks, WWF, WCW, ECW. And it really is our privilege to bring this stuff to you. And in addition to that, the Patreon account, if you are a subscriber, you will be getting, be ready for this one. I want an, oh, now guys, exclusive footage. Ooh, everybody. Whoa. Oh, oh, yes. We will be bringing you special shows every so often. Let me make this absolutely clear at this point. These shows, the three you get every month, will always remain completely free. We will not charge you for our WWF show, our WCW show, our ECW show. But exclusive content will be coming your way. And on the topic of exclusive content, when we roll around August, that will be our fifth anniversary when it all began with SummerSlam 93 and Clash of the Champions 24. We will be bringing you, in addition to our regularly scheduled programming, at least three very special programs, one for each organization. We have recorded the ECW one. The WCW ones and WWF will follow shortly, so stay tuned for that. All the information on our Twitter account. 
But for now, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy our other shows this month, which is Volume 2, WWF Fully Loaded, Volume 3, ECW Previewing Their Heatwave Pay-Per-View. We're out of time. 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 We're out of time